Now, three hours of comedy greats presented by, well, a comedy great. Radio 4 Extra is proud to present Comedy Greats. With more of the most rockin' and rollin' radio of the 1950s, don't step on his blue suede shoes, give it up for our flat-topped big daddy-o, Barry Cryer. Hello and welcome again to Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Greats. From across the decades, it's our second radio comedy showcase, with six more of the 50s funniest. Much Binding in the Marsh, Variety Bandbox with Frankie Howard, Just Fancy, Educating Archie, Meet the Huggets, and Hancock's Half Hour. With such comic variety on air, plus a population popping bile beans and spinning hula hoops around, no wonder the Prime Minister, Harold Macmillan, insisted the Brits who had it so good. Known as Supermac. Those tights were a mistake. <laughs> well, there you are. You see what the poor lad's been up against. Oh, over tight. <laughs> Who was it you wanted to talk to? No, that's not quite right, because I could almost understand what you were saying. <laughs> oh, you are comic. You ought to meet Iris. She's a scream too, ready to get going. Hey, here. What? Want to give you a kiss? Yeah, girl. What have I had my dinner? <laughs> and aren't you ashamed? I do wish they'd hurry up. Here's the phone. Oh, who can that want to be ringing up at this time? Mm. Hello? Yes, Mrs. Huggett speaking. What? The first comedy greats ready to roll, dear. Oh, that's nice. Yes. And it's a real golden oldie. Much binding in the marsh was a firm 50s fave when radio was still the premium outlet for British comedy. The fun was originally based at a run-down RAF station, first introduced in 1944 as the Air Force segment of the Merry-Go-Round series for the services. It became a series in its own right three years later. Scripted by and starring Kenneth Horne and Richard Stinker Murdoch, they were ably assisted by the multi-voiced Morris Denham, the servile Sam Costa and the daffy Dora Bryan. I alliterate for England. The show's weekly finale was a particular treat, as audiences waited to hear the witty verses tailored for the closing theme song. We're joining the gang in the summer of 1953, when the aviation gags had given way to the business of running a weekly newspaper. Let those presses roll. Once again, we stop the roar of the mighty presses to invite you to meet the members of the Weekly Bind newspaper. The members of its staff are Richard Murdoch, Kenneth Horne, Sam Costa, Maurice Denham, Modora Bryan, the BBC Men's Chorus, and the BBC Review Orchestra, conducted by Harry Rabinowitz. Well, we should only want about 200 words. It'd be a great boost for our newspaper. Yes, but I mean the name of Hutton would be such a tremendous... Well, if our readers haven't seen you in the flesh, they will have witnessed your recent magnificent performance on the screen. Morning, uh, uh, Good morning, sir. Uh, excuse me, this is very important. It's Hutton. Who? Uh, Len Hutton, sir. I'm trying to persuade him to write an article for us. Oh. I've had five previous tries, and now it's just a toss-up. 
Uh, no, not you, uh, Mr. Holmes, just come in. He's a great fan of yours, too, and we both admire your aggressiveness, your square cut, and we get a great thrill out of the glances today. <laughs> what? Your voice sounds a bit unusual. That is Len Hutton, isn't it? Who? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. In that case, I take back everything I said except the bit about the glances to leg. <laughs> that wasn't Len Hutton at all, sir. Who was it? Betty Hutton. Murdoch, <laughs> oh. oh. you might have kept her on a bit. I'd like to have told her how much I'd mind. Yes, I'm sure you would say yes. Switchboard. Look here. <laughs> Miss Klingbein, this isn't good enough. You got me Betty Hutton. Oh, yes, sir, dear. And I had a word with her first. She's ever so nice, you know. I only talked to her about her last picture. I was the soul of discretion. Soul of my foot. Uh, Miss Hutton was speaking from Hollywood. We'll have to stop the amount of the call out of your wages. Oh, won't be tight. <laughs> Who was it you wanted to talk to? Len Hutton. Who's he when he's at home? Oh, dear. He's just recovered the ashes for us. Well, I can't be expected to know the dustman by name. <laughs> really, Miss Klingbein, you're incorrigible. And to you. Well, now, Marek, about the weekly mind, I've been on a short holiday, so, so enlighten me. Certainly, sir. What do you want to know? Well, what's occurred? Occurred, sir? Well, it's the sort of thing Miss Muffet had with some way. Of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very good. I, I, I knew Miss Muffet had a way with her. I didn't know she had occurred. It's very <laughs> oh, you dear old-fashioned thing. Actually, sir, I'm rather pleased with some of these scoop press photographs that Maurice Davenport's been getting with his new Plastiminibox camera. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yes, Plastiminibox camera. Yes. This one, for instance, he took when he went to judge the Brighton Bathing... You know, do you remember when we went to judge the Brighton Bathing Beauty competition? Yes, sir? I do. Nearly got it. You've come out extremely well. I have? Yes, surrounded by the contestants. I bet your wife will be proud to see that on the front cover. <laughs> I bet she won't. I told her I was in Pontefract. <laughs> What did you say you were doing? Inspecting some property. Well, weren't you? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, sir, I'm sure you'll be interested to see the new photographic section. It's located in the basement in the corner of the old printing room. I'll take you down, sir. Oh, thank you, Mallard. How's Cluffid, by the way? Much the same, sir. Incidentally, the basement's a great hall of Cluffids. Careful of that step, sir. The moisture seeps off the walls a bit. Yes, it's quite a way down, Murdoch. I hope you've got some light down there. It's a bit dark at the moment, sir, but we'll be all right as soon as we can... Give me a hand with this iron door, will you, sir? It's a bit of... By Jove, by Jove, it is dark. I, I hope there's no... There's no <laughs> Murdoch, what's that? It's a bat. Oh, you, you know, Bessie's terrified of bats, afraid of them getting in her hair. Well, you've got nothing to worry about, sir. <laughs> uh, Murdoch, um, what's that distant glimmer of light through that grating? I don't know. I've never noticed it before. Wait a minute, sir. <laughs> A train. Where's it going to? Denham, I should think. <laughs> you know, sir, it's absolutely pitch black down here. I know there's a switch somewhere. You work along that wall and I'll work along this one. Well, just a minute, Murdoch. I, I think I've got something here. It, it feels like a switch. I, I'll try it. <laughs> Murdoch, I, I, I'm covered in papers. This printing machine must have been set up. Well, the press hasn't been used for years, sir. Let's see what is printed. I've got one match left. Wait a minute. Ah, here we are. H.M. the Queen and other members of the royal family returned from Balmoral today. Well, it's absolutely bang up to date. I don't think it is, sir, because it goes on to say she was greeted on her arrival by Mr. Disraeli. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes my last match. We must find a light switch. I'll grope this way along this wall and you grope the other way. Uh, okay, Murdoch, grope, grope. Right. <laughs> oh, it seems ridiculous to put a switch in such an inaccessible... Oh! Oh, this is terrible. How are you getting on, sir? 
Sir, where are you? I'm over here, Murdoch. I I'm trying to find the... Oh! What's the matter? A water rat's just got on my right trouser leg. <laughs> oh, what shall I do? Who do you think I am, George Cansdale? <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, it's come out of my left sleeve. Terrific echo in here, isn't there, sir? Terrific echo in here, isn't there, sir? Terrific what, Murdoch? Terrific what, Murdoch? Echo! Echo! <laughs> what? Echo! Echo! Murdoch, can you lend me a pound? Echo! Pity! <laughs> Wait a minute, sir. I think I can see a faint gleam of light under the door over there. It's probably the light from the dark room. Well, if there's a light in it, it can't be a dark room. That's absurd. You might as well say if you stand up in a sitting room, it becomes a standing room. What would you do if you found bats in the ballroom? Send them back to the belfry, of course. <laughs> Anyhow, let's work our way round to the door. Okay, sir, I do hope we can... Oh! Oh, steady, Murdoch. Keep your head down, otherwise you might get a... Oh! We're getting warm now, sir. I wouldn't be surprised if... Oh! What was that noise? That was me going... Oh! Well, don't do it, Murdoch. Here we are, sir. I found the door handle. Oh, it's pretty dim in here, isn't yes, it? <coughs> oh, I've just run into some old cobwebs or something. Good morning, sir. The fact that I am alone here in the dark with Miss Plum is entirely co-educational. As I suspected. Are you all right, Miss Plum? Oh, yes. Sam asked me to come in here with him to await developments. What photos are you developing, Costa? Well, last Saturday, I snapped Miss Plum and she snapped me back. Did she? Yes, I can show you the tooth marks. Oh, good heavens, has she got any tooth marks? No, when I snapped her, I forgot to put my plate in. Well, let's have a look at some of the negatives. Uh, do you know what a negative is, Miss Plum? No. That's right. Now, <laughs> this one here, sir, is rather curious. Oh, look at me. Oh, good gracious, my face has come out all black and my hair all white. Oh, you don't want to worry, Miss Plum. When it's printed, you'll be reversed. Do you mean I'll come out upside down? No, no, no. No, your face will come out white and your hair will be its natural colour. Oh, dear, and after all the money I've spent on rinses making it this colour. Look, you don't, you don't quite understand, Miss Plum. The printing process causes the black of the negative to become white and the white black. Good gracious, why would that be? Well, it's it, it, uh, a chemical process, really. Whenever an alkali is attacked by an acid, it, it reacts on the spectrum and uh, uh, sort of... Uh, sort of... Eats its way through the thin layer of, of, of manganese and, and hypostilium. And uh, on the other hand, uh, I do hope that's an attractive sweater you've got on. Oh, do you like it? I knitted it myself from a paper pattern. Really? It looks just like wool. Oh, oh you are comic. You ought to meet Iris. She's a scream too when she gets going. She was knitting herself a stole last week and she said she started it as a bolero and had to unravel it as it was an unravels bolero. Well, talk about love. You know, it's a funny thing. Emily knitted me a cardigan for my birthday. What about it, Costa? It's a funny thing. <laughs> you know, my doc, the equipment in the dark room is most impressive. What's that machine there for? That's an enlarger, sir. Anything you put in it comes out twice the size. Oh, well, perhaps I could bring my bank balance round sometime. <laughs> Well, now, sir, we must press on. Miss Plum, you and Costa mustn't waste too much time down here. Mr. Costa doesn't waste any time, I assure you. <laughs> now, sir, I think if we go up these few stone steps, you'll be interested to go into this room where we have a chap who instructs the news vendors how to shout his wares. Uh, this way. Bad at all. Now, Mr. Higgins, I want to hear you shout Weekly Bind, Special Edition. Read all about it, threepence only. No, that's not quite right, because I could almost understand what you were saying. Once more, please. 
Oh, that's a great improvement. I think that if you persevere, you... You know, sir, when I was a street vendor, I used to say, They used to go like hot cakes. What were you selling? Hot cakes. <laughs> Funny, I used to be in that business, but I used to stand on the corner saying, Sorry, not today, not today. Why was that? The firm I worked for had gone bust. <laughs> now, what's in this room here? Oh, you remember, sir. It's the stopping shop where we have that wonderful all-purpose machine. Oh, hello, Mr. Bavour. How's the stopping machine going? Well, sir, not very well, I'm afraid, sir. Can't understand it. It's inexplicable. What's the trouble? Well, I think it's partly the paper, sir. It isn't absorbable. And that's why the printing is sometimes illegible. Well, you realise, Mr. Bavour, that part of the trouble is the fact that there's too much pressure building up. Now, if you were to turn this lever here, it would... Oh, what, what are you using the machine for today, Mr. Bubble? Well, sir, you remember last week it was putting ticks on O's and turning them into Q's? Yes. Well, this week, for some incredible reason, we need a lot of O's. Really? Yes, it's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> it's fantastic, Bubble. <laughs> it's past all comprehensible, Bubble. Yes, and so I'm putting letter I's in the machine, and it bends them round and turns them into letter O's. Oh, I'd like to see that. Switch it on, Mr. Ball. Mm, I'll just plug in this capable, and I'll turn the switch on and... Aye. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. <laughs> 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 Now, uh, what, uh, what happens, Mr. Bubble, if you've got enough O's and suddenly want some more I's? Well, I, I just reverse the switch and it goes... Oh, I's! Oh, I's! Oh, I's! Very impressive. Well, cheerio, Mr. Bubble. Cheerio, sir. Embrace me, my sweet embrace, Bubble. Now, sir, I think we've just got time to... Oh, there you are, Costa. By the way, do... Uh, if you'll pardon my corruption, sir, I am not Costa at the moment. What are you talking about? I am my pusodden in Prudence Gush in the throes of composition. Well, I hope Prudence Gush knows about her moustache. And, uh... <laughs> and when will Prudence finish with her throes? She's practically thrust now. Listen. <laughs> Pleasant thought for the day by Prudence Gush, knee Costa. I see, you know... I call it, uh, I pick the roses, but the roses never pick me. Very nice. <laughs> How beautiful it is to hear the nightingale in song. How sweet to hear the bleat of lambs as o'er the downs they throng. How glorious to hear the lark a singing in his flight. Perhaps the loveliest of sounds is this one frying tonight. <laughs> what do you think of that, sir? I'd call it epoch making. I quite agree. It's made my whole epoch. Good. <laughs> Go and get Mr. Bubble to print it, Costa, and prepare another one for next week. Right, you are, sir. Um, the whiffle, snoop, and sordy grass were spelling through the drumsy. They tripped like spangabs through the gleb when... Clumsy. <laughs> well, I think it's time to go in here and get the press gang to sing to us. So do I. After you, my life. Good morning, press gang. And what are you going to sing for us today? Hallelujah! 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 Hey! 
Absolutely lush. <laughs> well, I'll just switch the recording on. This is Gladys Plum speaking to you from Cecil Mincingham Salon in Mayfair, where the cream of London society have just witnessed the most interesting and unusual collection of autumn modes. Standing by my side now is that brilliant young designer whose every whim is reflected in his creations, <laughs> which he so unflinchingly creates, and whom, with the touch of his magic fingers, can turn any old sow's ear into a silk purse. <laughs> Mr. Cecil Mincingham. Oh, how do you do? I'm so glad you were able to get along to my little show. Tell me, Mr. Mincingham, or uh, should I say Cecil? Mr. Mincingham. <laughs> oh, thank you. Mr. Mincingham, I am the fashion expert of that popular paper, The Weekly Bind. My dear lady, if you're a fashion expert, you surely wouldn't wear a mauve feather boa with those white Harris tweed jodhpurs. Well, I have been riding down the road. It looks as if you've been rowing down a ride. Now, you want my opinion on the new length skirts? 
Well, I don't really, but I'm sure my readers are all very curious. I don't doubt they are. <laughs> well, as far as skirt lengths are concerned, it's entirely a matter of personal choice. Now, for instance, um, Deirdre, will you step over here a minute? Yes, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> uh, this skirt is designed for the youthful pencil type figure, and you'll notice that it fits tightly at the front, and uh, turn around, Deirdre. <laughs> Even more snugly at the... <laughs> Well, Deirdre, you shouldn't have had porridge for breakfast. My friend Iris had a somewhat similar experience at the Pally one night. She was wearing her grey-green grow grain and in the middle of the hokey coke. Yes, I'm sure it did. Well, anyway, Iris passed it off with one of her spontaneous quips. Oh, she's a scream, is Iris, when she gets going. She said... Oh, we're having a ripping evening. <laughs> well, I mean to say, love. Yes, I'm sure you did. Now, in this evening dress here, I've tried to recapture the simple, though voluminous, dignity of the crinoline. Pamela, step this way a minute, will you? Coming, Mr. Mitzingham. <laughs> Pamela, please. Oh, sorry, Mr. Mitzingham, I forgot. Yes. <laughs> now, Pamela. Pamela, dear. Pamela, turn round slowly and show the lady the dress. Oh, now, that really is a picture. There must be layer after layer and yards and yards of material in that skirt. Oh, a tremendous number. And I think you'll be surprised to notice that if I lift aside these flounces here to reveal the underskirt, we find... Good morning, sir. Was there something? <laughs> oh, Sam, really, whatever you doing here? I'm waiting for a 25 bus. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm well, that was quite a revelation. I don't know when I've... Ah, oh, there you are, Miss Plum. I see you've got the recording machine there. Just run the tape back, will you? We've got another recording to play over. Righty-ho. <laughs> That's better. Now then. Oh, excuse me, sir. I'm just putting the finishing touches to my musical notes for the week. And what are your notes this week? <laughs> and hmm... Oh, Costa. They aren't your real notes, are they? No, sir. Well, let's hear the proper ones. <laughs> What was the last one? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> and this is how my article goes. Yesterday evening at the Festival Hall, London's music-loving public were treated to a, a spirited rendition of Broccoli's Seventh Symphony in E-sharp major, commonly known as the Blamont Symphony because of its well-known wobbly movement. <laughs> Unlike Schubert's Unfinished Symphony, which never ended, this never should have begun. <laughs> Sir Malcolm Sargent handled the Swindon Supersonic Orchestra with great skill and Izzy Bond handled the vocals. <laughs> Miss Helga Hamburger, the celebrated harpy... That's harpist. Oh, sorry, harpist. <laughs> ...negotiated the long and difficult passage at the opening, notwithstanding the revolving door at the end. <laughs> Coffee and cakes were served during the third tacit. Towards the end of the evening, Sir Malcolm congratulated his boys on the way they bust Basin Street Blues. And the concert finished with a lively jam session, during which the rhythm section gave their own special arrangement of Oh My Beloved Daddy, featuring Leon Goosens on the electric oboe. And it sounds a most inspiring concert, Costa. Oh, it was, sir. Mind you, I wasn't there myself. Well, what do you mean? Well, I got a ghostwriter to do the article for me. Verbatim? No, Charlie Staircase. And uh, next week I'm reviewing Light Opera. Light Opera? Conducted by Sidney Torch, I suppose. Oh, 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 oh. oh hear that, Murdoch? Yes. Oh. Uh, no, sir. 
Now, I shall be dealing with Gilbert and Sullivan. Oh, by the way, what does oleaginous mean? Oleaginous means oily. Oily? Yes, why? Well, I shall just head my article, The Doleaginous Cart Opera Company. <laughs> but you don't know anything about opera, Costa. Well, didn't you know that one of my few pseudonyms is Benjamin Brisson? Don't be ridiculous, Costa. And what's more, I sing tenor under the name of Mario Lanza. Costa! All right, so I'm a liar. Well, now, sir, perhaps we can play over the recording of the interview at Edinburgh. Yes, dear. Oh, dear, come in. Uh, good morning. Oh, good morning, Mr. Mulch. How does your garden grow? Well, uh, you remember last week I told you I had the Colorado beetles in my potatoes? Yes. Well, they've gone. Oh, splendid. Ah, yeah. There wasn't much point in them staying. Why not? They'd finish the potato. Oh, I see. Aye, they're on my best rhubarb now, but that's all right. Why? I don't like rhubarb. <laughs> Uh, by the way, have you got a pair of old stockings, some melon rind and some yesterday's cornflakes? Why, are you taking the day off? No, I want it for me compost tape. Now, Murdoch, quick, switch the machine on. I can't wait to hear how I sign on tape. Right up. Well, I'm standing here on the Esplanade of Edinburgh Castle. Uh, I was hoping you'd be able to hear the pipes, but they're being lagged for the winter. <laughs> These Scottish people are rightly proud of this beautiful city and of this splendid festival, and I'll just stop one of them and get him to talk to us. Uh, uh, excuse me, sir, what's your name? Uh, Bunce. Uh, surely it must be McBunce. No, just Bunce. Harry, Harry Bunce. Oh, where do you come from? East Lothian? No, East Finchley. Oh. I see. I suppose it's the festival that brought you up here. No, I came by coach. <laughs> we had several stops on the way, of course. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. 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 Uh, I was referring to the Edinburgh International Festival. Oh, that'll be nice for it, yes, yes. yes. For instance, you probably enjoyed Fernando Previtali and Giaconda De Vito on Sunday evening. Uh, no, I had spaghetti and Scotch brawls. Yes. <laughs> and I suppose you like eating haggis and listening to the bagpipes? Oh, yes, yes, I had that for dinner yesterday. Only, by the taste of it, I think I was eating the bagpipes and listening to the haggis, yes. <laughs> now, when you're not on holiday, Mr... Uh, uh, Bunce, uh, Harry Bunce. Uh, Bunce, yes. yes well, what's yes. your ordinary job? Uh, I'm a crumpet holer. Uh, a crumpet holer? Um, what does that involve? I put the holes in the crumpets. Put the holes in crumpets? Yes, yes, yes. The, the unpunctured crumpet comes down the conveyor belt from the crumpet foundry. Uh, and, and you put the holes in? Yes, yes, that's right, yes. Well, how do you do that? Well, different ways, you know. Yes, uh, as long as the crumpet has holes in it eventually, nobody minds how I do it. <laughs> sometimes I use a skewer, sometimes a brace and bit. I've even been known to use the enemy keychain before now. <laughs> And so the crumpets don't have any holes in until they reach you, eh? Uh, no, only on very rare occasions. And what do you do with them then? I fill up the holes and sell them as muffins. I see. <laughs> well, now, tell me, Mr... Uh, Bunts, Harry uh, Bunts. Yes, uh, yes, why do crumpets have holes? Well, it's economical, you see. It saves putting the dough in the bits of crumpet where the holes are, so you can save that bit of dough and use it to make more crumpets. I see. Yes. Oh, well, thank you very much, Mr... Uh, uh, Bunts, Harry Bunts. Uh, thank you, Mr Bunts. Now, we'd like, uh, we'd like you to choose a piece of music for us to play for you. What's it to be? Oh, my favourite piece. Uh, what's that? Uh, the Crumpet Voluntary. Good afternoon. <laughs> Very interesting recording, sir. I'm sure an article based on that will be a real boom to crumpet lovers. By the way, how does the Crumpet Voluntary go? Oh, you know, Murdoch, it's a little thing that goes something like this. And much mining, mining in the marsh. The Edinburgh Festival is thriving. At much mining in the marsh. Each day more foreign tourists keep arriving 
The city's full of actors and musicians of renown. The Usher Hall's so packed that the promoters needn't frown. What hall did you say, Murdoch? Usher. Usher? All fall down. At much. Finding in the marsh. At much. Finding in the marsh. A few weeks back, the papers had a heading. At much. Finding in the marsh. To tell the world of gorgeous Gussie's wedding. We feel that when a wedding of a couple's taken place, the man should wear the trousers and in gorgeous Gussie's case, we wonder if the husband wears the panties made of lace. At much, binding in the marsh. At much, binding in the marsh. Here it comes. Our new machine's the finest ever thought of. At much, binding in the marsh. Providing all the letters we are short of. W. Q. That's W into Q. M. U. That's M into U. Oh, oh, oh! That's Murdoch's finger into two. At much, binding in the marsh. Last verse, at much, binding in the marsh. The radio show is starting soon, they tell us. At much, binding in the marsh. We're going there to see what they can sell us. I'm going to buy a portable. I think they're awful fun. I'll buy a console set to hear the programs we have done. I think I'll buy an upper set to match my lower one. At much, finding in the last echo. Echo. At much, finding in the last quiz. Echo. At much, finding That was the fifth edition of Much Binding, with Richard Murdoch and Kenneth Horne, where Sam Costa, Maurice Denham, as Messrs. Davenport, Mulch, Bubble, Mincingham and Ivy, Dora Bryan, Cluffett, the BBC Men's Chorus, and the BBC Review Orchestra, conducted by Harry Rabinowitz. The script was by Richard Murdoch and Kenneth Horne, and this recorded programme was produced by Leslie Bridgemont. Much Binding in the Marsh from August 1953. And there'll be more from Kenneth Horne in our next edition of Comedy Greats when I'll be tackling radio's rib ticklers of the 60s. But plenty more of the 50s funnier still to come with me, Barry Cryer. The Bin family wanted for nothing. We lived in a large house and its rooms and corridors brimmed over with laughter and happiness. (laughs) Now let us laugh and be happy in a corridor. Until young Pip was struck with a bout of bad luck. If I can just squeeze under this ladder. Oh, damn that black cat. He's going to make me drip. A life of hardship from an early age. No one has ever left this school alive. Sir Pip Bin recounts his riches to rags story. Apart from one boy and he was dead. <laughs> Bleak Expectations. Begins in BBC Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Club, Thursday night at 11. You're listening to BBC Radio 4 Extra. Now let's welcome back Variety Bandbox. This actually started its run in the mid-40s, conceived as a show for forces overseas. It was the show in which the stars of tomorrow emerged, fast-moving with a high comedy content. Each turn was judged to be amongst the more hip comedians and singers of the day. Among its discoveries were Harry Seacombe, Dick Emery, Beryl Reed, and Tony Hancock. Frankie Howard made his debut on the show in 1946, His performance of Eric Sykes' catchphrase-laden script helped rocket him to stardom, and he became its resident comedian. 
Let's join him in 1950, when Francis was joined by Peter Sellers. At one point during the 50s, this goon was simultaneously working on Razor Love. Listen out for his tribute to Ted Ray. Also on the bill, another bandbox discovery who emerged with tales of Wagga Wagga, his Aussie birthplace, Hancock's very own Bill Kerr. Philip Slesser is your terribly tight-lipped compare, but try not to laugh at the keyboard fingering of the opening act. It's not supposed to be funny. <laughs> Welcome to Variety Bandbox. First term. Pleasant music comes to us today from a young man whose remarkable skill on the electronic organ has given a great deal of pleasure to previous bandbox audiences. Opening with 12th Street Rag, here is Jerry Allen. <laughs> Jerry plays two old favourites, Always and Great Day.
Does your nose smell? Is your house lived in? Can you hear yourself shout? Then, we're the men to help you just when things were all to pot. We meant we ought to chop and change the pipe to a lot. So if you've any problems, then you must come round and see the assistant Billy Turnant and Frankie Howe. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> now, don't mess about now. Now, please, please. Tonight's topic is how to speak English. And I shall be assisted, assisted, with the accent on the ass, by, <laughs> by, uh, by Mr. William Turnant, a bachelor of, uh, well, bachelor. And um, when Mr. Turnant heard that the subject was, he immediately left his college. Thank you, Mr. Wait Hart. a minute, let me finish. <laughs> he, immediately left his, he immediately left his college pudding to come here... <laughs> to come here and assist me in how to speak English. Now, Mr. Turnan, tell me, how do you speak English? I talk. Give him the money, Barney. <laughs> no, I mean, is your English good or bad? I can safely say I stand out. You stand out all right. Now, very well, Mr. Clarence, since English is your strong point, you ask the question. Right, right. First of all, yeah. vowels. A, E, R, O, O. Is half my last act gone now? <laughs> I think perhaps I'll ask the questions from now on. All right, then see if you can catch me napping. Well, if I do, you won't wake up again. Now, <laughs> Mr. Turland, compliments exchange, on with the English. Now, question number one. What are the consonants? Uh... Africa? Asia? No! <laughs> consonants! Not continents. Now, what are the consonants? Now, a very funny thing happened to me as what I was walking down the... consonants? <laughs> Do you know? No. Do you? Do I? Do I? <laughs> well, if I knew, I wouldn't be asking you, would I? Oh, he's a fool. Right. I'll deal again. Now. <laughs> How to pronounce sentence one. The quick brown of fox goes round and round and round. And is he dizzy? <laughs> not as dizzy as you are, to assert. Well, now you do it then, now. The quick brown fox goes round and round and round. Sounds like you're in agony. Look, let the sound, the sound come out to pay our sheep. Out, out and round, out. Where does it hurt? I'll be asking you that in a minute. Now, commence. The quick brown fox goes round and round and round and round and round. Well done. <laughs> and so we leave pronunciation. Now, before we do, before we do it, some damage. Now, let's turn to grammar. Example one. I were glad to come in here tonight. That's wrong, isn't it? I were glad to come in here tonight. Of course it is. It should be, uh, I were glad to come in here this evening. Mr. Look, I were glad. I, is that right? Yes. Oh, think. Oh, thrice think. <laughs> well, you was glad, wasn't you? Oh, oh Shakespeare, turn away. <laughs> now, listen. Sag body. <laughs> I was glad to come in here tonight. He was glad to come in here tonight. You were glad to come in here tonight. They were glad to come in here tonight. Now do you understand? Yes. 
Baby, it's cold outside. Oh, sleep collects me. Well, I bet, I bet you can't conjugate. Well, at my very peril, I will take the matter further. What is conjugate? The next stop to Notting Hill Gate. <laughs> <laughs> give me your word and I'll twist it for you. Now, if you give me your neck, I'll do the same. All right, well, don't start a long rigmarole. And... A what? A rigmarole. Rigmarole? Yeah. Rigmarole. <laughs> Mr. Turnant, it's quite obvious that you are sadly lacking in this subject. I know as much about English as you. And aren't you ashamed? Well, you shouldn't come here and talk about something you know nothing about. And I can answer any question you like to put oh, to me. Oh, can you? Well, yes. is this correct or not? I think you will do. Yes, it is. Well, you're wrong. It should be, I think you will be done. <laughs> and by the first person in the vindictive, me. Now get out of it. Oh. Yeah. charming young soprano from Down Under whose first broadcast in Variety Bandbox caused really a big sensation. And here to sing for us is Australia's own petite and beautiful Barbara Lee. Miss Lee's going to sing, first of all, a beautiful song by Jack Jordan and Jimmy Grafton, If Love Could Find a Way. Gentlemen, now I'd like to sing to you Ivan Novello's lovely song from King's Rhapsody, 
Someday my heart will awake. have one of the really up-and-coming personalities that the past year or so's broadcasting has produced. With his amusing comedy impressions, I'm always very glad to reintroduce the rising star of Raise a Laugh and Petticoat Lane and so forth, Peter Sellers. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Peter Sellers taking you over to Theatreland to hear some excerpts from the new pantomime, Cellarinda with an all-star radio cast. The show is introduced by radio's ray of sunshine, Ted Ray. Hello, boys and girls. Prepare yourselves for chestnut scorn and sharp. Let's raise the curtain and raise it out. Oh, my. 
made it. How delightful it is to be dancing in the chorus with you. How scrumptious you look in those tantalising tights. The flesh-coloured ones with the blue lines. Uh, what's that, dear? You're not wearing tights. Oh. Well, dear, I am. Although I must say I'm just a little apprehensive about doing the high kick. Oh, here they come now. Oh, maybe. Never mind, to cover up my embarrassment, here comes Cinderella. I'm Crystal Jolly Bottom Cinderella, of course, but... Blimey, this kitchen's as draughty as an horse, but... Here comes Buttons, he should be full of fun. Oh, uh, hello, Cinderella. I'm happy laughing buttons. Full of quips and funny gags. What's put me off is your ugly sisters. Here they are, the two old baggages. Here we are, Cinders. You've got to help us dress. We've got an invitation from... Uh, we all never get it. I'll tell her, Lottie. I'll go on, Lottie. Let me tell her all. <laughs> Cinders, we're both going to the Prince's Ball. But you can't come, but we're going, aren't we, Lottie? Oh, let's go to the Prince's Ball, Lottie. <laughs> I have a poem, Cinderella. A Barons and I are the broker's men. We pop in and out and we pop back again. They call us the broker's men because we're the brokest men that ever was. Oh, magnificent, Myrtle Moore. Mr. Moore, shut up! Well, ladies and gentlemen, here I am in a ringside seat in the stall. Cinderella's alone in her corner, but at any moment, a fairy godmother will be in the ring, too. And here she is now. Seconds out. Do I know you as we met? You startled me so I've swallowed me up a set. Fear uh, uh, not, Cinderella. And uh, uh, do not tremble so. Uh, I am your fairy godmother. Uh, no. Godfather, <laughs> I've come to help you go to the ball and a jolly good evening to one and all. <laughs> uh, now for a little magic. Yes. <laughs> I'll call my assistant. Uh, here I am, sir. Dudley Davenport at your service, sir. Uh, lend me your magic wand, Mr. Morton, and I'll touch this pumpkin over here and turn it into a footman, like this. Good morning, sir. Was there something? <laughs> oh, I, I am a fool. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is David Southwood. And as usual, my seat is in the circle. But there's a little boy sitting next to me who keeps shouting. I say, Sonny, would you mind being quiet, please? Sure. Can't be you. I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm Southwood, not Soppy. You might be Southwood. That you're still Here, can you play knock knock? Yes, I can. All right, knock knock. Who's there? Cohen. Cohen? Cohen who? Cohen, shut your big gob. <laughs> oh, disgraceful, disgraceful. Well, now, now I see that Cinderella has arrived at the palace. Oh, here's the prince. Blimey, what a thriller. He's all dressed up, just like Max Miller. 
That's right, Max Miller's the name, here. Here, I don't know what I do, I don't know what I say. Here, I like the look of you, girl, what's your name? Oh, dear, 12 o'clock. I've outstayed me welcome. Come home, Cinderella. <laughs> Come back to the buildings. This palace lock won't do you no good. Marry a fella with a trade like Gertie Gremlin did. It ain't no shame. Dirty Gremlin, what a ghostly name. Don't listen to them, Cinderella. I may not have a trade, but marry me and you'll be sharing the best coconuts in Campbell. Listen, I'll tell you, here we are. Now down at Maxie's Fair, whenever you are there, you'll always find me shouting out from underneath the flare. Oh, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in the row. The big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist and flick your wrist, that's what the showman said. Whoop! I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every body throw a maker's red. Now there stands me wife, the idol of me life. Singing roller, bowler, bowler, penny a bed. A singing roller, bowler, bowler, penny a bed. A singing roller. With Mary, little Mary from the dairy, singing round the bowl of all a penny a bit. Gentlemen, in Harada Bandbox, the accent is generally on optimism, but we feel that we must bring to the microphone once again that pessimistic character with a face which even a crab apple would disown, that unfailing prophet of doom and destruction, the fugitive from Wagga Wagga, Bill Kerr. for four minutes. <laughs> yes, I've been given the situation a, a lot of deep thought and I come to one conclusion. We're in a heck of a mess. <laughs> I've got a couple of letters given to me this morning. Don't believe in letters. Writing them and delivering them. I suppose you write a lot of letters out there. <laughs> you fools. Well, now, when you write it, it's all right. You've got to stick a stamp on it. You've got to lick it and put it on the envelope. Then you've got to lick the envelope and stick that down. I don't suppose you know what was in the stuff you were licking. <laughs> I don't suppose the people that make it know what they're mixing. As long as it's sticky, it's all right. I don't want to worry you, but... Flypaper's sticky. 
you know what that does to flies. And they only walk on it. Bill, you would write letters, wouldn't you? Well, let's have a go through the years, the last 50 years. I'll tell you a few interesting details. Back in 1920, my grandpa, he moved to Wagga Wagga and he, he commenced farming with two sheep. And the day started, it rained for six months. And at the end of that time, you know what he finished up with? Lumbago. <laughs> yeah, but the sheep had been busy and, and today, today Grandpa back in Wagga, he's a big wool man. As a matter of fact, he's just out on bail. In 1930, you know what happened then? <laughs> everything slumped. Yeah, 1930, 31, everything, uh, everything started picking up again. My old man, he got a job as a street cleaner. Then he started picking up. <laughs> 1932, everything slumped again. And in 1933, even the slump slumped. <laughs> in those days, Wagga was a one-horse town. But not for long. Things got so bad, we had to eat the horse. <laughs> but now, just before I go, I think I'd like to finish with a very happy note. So, wear a frown, wear a frown. There's no future anywhere, just look around. The world is full of misery, calamity and crashes. So chuck away those glad rags and put on sackcloth and ashes. Get some gloom, all is doomed. Come on, fellas, this way to the tomb. The papers say prosperity is really on the wane. Just sit and watch your dreamboat sailing gently down the drain. And there's been another murder down in Apple Blossom Lane Wear a frown, wear a frown, wear a frown You should get happy Wear a frown, wear a frown Well, we've entered the band box for today and this is Philip Slesser saying goodbye for now. The program was produced by Brian Sears and presented by the BBC. Variety Bandbox from January 1950 and I hope you're enjoying our trawl through the comedy greats of the 50s with me, Barry Cryer. Still to come, meet the Huggets, educating Archie, and Bill Kerr returns in Hancock's Half Hour. The digital station for comedy, drama and entertainment. BBC Radio 4 Extra. Just like Kenneth Horne and Richard Murdoch, our next 50s funny man also came to fame entertaining the troops. 
Apart from much binding, merry-go-round's naval segment, Waterlogged Spa was a springboard for its star, Eric Barker. But its crazy voices and sketches gave way to more thoughtful musings in a new comedy. Starting in 1951, Just Fancy ran for seven series. Described as a thinking man's comedian, Eric Barker presented a slower-paced collection of observational sketches and characters. Concealed microphones, helicopters, slums and a quick rumba are amongst the delights. The show's easy listening, opening and linking music was especially composed to match the gentle humour. So settle back now for a half-hour comedy cruise. Just fancy. gentlemen who like your radio bright and breezy with plenty of broad down-to-earth punch don't be selfish because the next half hour is for those of you who prefer the sober sort of trifle that the author Eric Barker describes as just fancy good evening all listeners of goodwill this is my fifth attempt to try and think of a script but my mind still persists in wandering off into just fancy I'm not grumbling. After all, we in this country have such a lot to be thankful for. Just offhand, I can't think of anything in particular unless... Uh, oh, yes, it's the pile of logs I bought last summer. I've been letting my lantern-jawed next-door neighbour, Mr Groom, have a few of these. Oh, he's absolutely furious about the coal situation. He said, uh, I'm informed that there's plenty of coal. Well, stands to reason there must be. It's bungling at the top that's his trouble. Oh, I'd shake him up in my area if they put me on the job. Well, I mean, whose imagination could resist encouragement like that? Not mine, anyhow. Way it went again, and I tried to visualise what Mr Groom would do exactly if he were suddenly given dictatorial powers. And I pictured him arriving for the first time at the boardroom where the coal committee meets early one frosty morning. Oh, so this is the bungler's boardroom, miss, is it? Oh, I, I wouldn't like to go so far as to say that, Mr Groom. It's... Ah. It's where the coal committee sits. Oh, dearie, it's very hot in here. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. I feel as if we'd just been playing badminton with a slightly denuded shuttlecock. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rest of the lads don't seem to be killing themselves to start work this morning, exactly. Where are they? Oh, they'll be along. Well, that's right, that is. The whole of Britain shuffling short-sightedly about in cellars in case there's one lump that they might have overlooked. And all one can say of the men who could put an end to this suffering is they'll be along. Blimey, it's hot in here. Open the windows, Miss, will you? Open the windows, Mr. Groom? Oh, I, I don't think the committee will approve of that. Well, that's the whole idea. Oh, I'll shake them up. Don't you worry. Turn all the electric fires off. Oh. All the gas fires out. Tell whoever's in charge of the central heating, he can switch that off and go home. Uh, yes, but... Uh, yeah, and, uh, yes, I shall want the limousine again. Oh, here's Mr. Foskins, the head of the committee. Is it? Well, he won't know what's hit him. I want it in an hour. Yeah, that's what you think, my beauty. Wherever you're going, you're going to walk. Release another man from the mines. Well, do as I say, Miss. Go oh. on, turn off the electric fire uh, yes. and the gas fire. Go on. That's right. Oh, by George, it's cold in here this morning. Miss Garnet. Good morning, Mr. Foskins. Uh, good morning. Uh, how many times must I tell you that I wish the gas fires and the electric fires on when I arrive? Oh. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. How many times must I tell you to switch them off? Just once. I, uh, I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, don't mention it, sir. 
I'm Mr. Foskins. I know, and I'm Mr. Groom. Not the Mr. Groom appointed by Parliament to... Ah, that alters things a bit, doesn't it? You ought to be ashamed of yourself sitting here with all these stoves on. As head of the coal doings, you ought to be setting an example to the whole country. Sit here in the cold. Now then, let's get down to brass tin tacks. How much coal have we got? Oh, well, plenty, Groom, plenty. Now, don't you worry, about seven tons of anthracite. About... <laughs> seven tons? We're not going to have much of an export drive this year, are we? The only consolation is that in the last shortage we had even less. And uh, we've one more bag to come before April. One more? Oh, you're talking about supplies to warm this building and yourself. Yes. Oh, dear. Someone walked over my grave. Is it filled in? Well, what's the position outside this building? I mean, for the secondary priorities, like uh, industry and rearmament. Not too good. Oh, I see. And uh, what have you done about it, apart from making the fire up? Uh, my chiefs have ordered a hundred shiploads from America. Oh, yes, I remember. And uh, how long have you been head of the coal committee, Mr. Foskins? Uh, oh, well, let me see. Uh, two years? Uh, yes, two years. Yeah. Then you'll always be able to look back on the... Two years when you were head of the coal committee. You're fired. What? And that's more than a lot of railway engines can say these days. Well, well, you, you can't do this to me, Groom. Uh, I'd resign. Oh, dear, that's better still. That'll save us having to get you a few-note presentation clock. Where's that depressed-looking thing with the wisps of hair? Miss? Oh, uh, did you want me? Uh, well, I suppose so. <clears throat> In a way. You get me through at once to the United States, will you? Do you ever, you know, we order these hundred shiploads of coal from? The, the Marshal Aid Office in, in Washington? Is that it? Yes. Well, get on to them. We are going to cancel that lot. But, but Groom, you... And there's no call for you to hang about. Thank you very much, Foskins. Your cards are stamped right up, aren't they? Washington's on the line. Oh, is it? Thank you. Y yes. <laughs> oh, good morning, George. Uh, oh. <laughs> eh? Marshal Aid's office? Oh, how are you, Marshal? Uh, I'm Groom. Yeah, the new one on this lot over uh, in England. Yes, that's right. Uh, these hundred ships uh, full of coal... What's the uh, drill exactly when they're unloaded this side? Take on a load of our coal and then go back again. Oh, that's a cack-handed idea, isn't it? Oh, I thought that was it. Well, we don't want them at all. Any of them. Halfway across the Atlantic, are they? Oh, well, there's one thing. They'll have exactly the right amount of coal to take them over again. <laughs> huh? No, I'll get our admiral to send them back then. When we get one. Look, eh? Uh, hey? Never mind about see her brother. Do what? Oh, that's nice, that is. Oh, well, I like that. Haven't paid the 1918 war debt. Well, surely we're entitled to a little more credit after all we've done for you. What have we done? Oh, oh, go away, go away, go away. Well, that's the thanks we get for starting them off with the Pilgrim Fathers and finishing them off with Stuart Granger. Well, that's what I call a good morning's work, everybody. I've turned all the fires out. I've set Foskins there, the bloke who can't keep warm. I've stopped the American ships and saved the country millions of pounds. And if anyone deserves a knighthood, it's me. But, Mr. Groom, we still have no coal. No, no, still have no coal. Well, where do we go from here? Yeah, well, I don't know about you. Personally, I'm going to bed until the warmer weather. See you at Whitson.
was younger I used to suffer terribly from wanderlust. Still breaks out sometimes even now. Last Friday for example I suddenly felt the urge to go to the south coast. Normally I'd have gone by car but it's Lent and I've given up smoking so I thought oh I'll be extravagant for once and go by train. Well when I got there it was pouring with rain so I came straight back. Now it was a sheer waste of money. I thought afterwards how much cheaper to have gone by imagination or even to have let the BBC take me you know where you an announcer saying something like five miles out in the English Channel this week a merchant ship is engaged in an experiment of vital importance to the future for from a tiny circular deck specially built on the extreme star a helicopter is about to make takeoff and landing tests and in this helicopter is our observer Godfrey Klimping hello there this is Godfrey Klimping I'm sitting in this helicopter which is on a deck about the size I should say of a, a very small deck uh, jutting out over the, uh, oh, by Jove, it is choppy today, isn't it? Uh, luckily, by looking straight ahead, I'm a very good, oh, a fairly good sailor. I mustn't look down there again. Um, I have two companions, one our pilot, ex-group Captain Wingham, and my other companion is... A mechanic first class, Albert Wilson Emsworth Hall. Oh, well done. Uh, group Captain Wingham, are you... Uh, shall I start her up, Skipper? Uh, yes, please, old chap. Oh, that's the uh, engine starting up. You, you may be able to hear it. <laughs> How's that petrol pump, Paul? Oh, I was just going to say, Skipper, it's working fine now. That's the funny part. <laughs> yes. yeah, well, apparently they had a certain amount of trouble with the petrol pump, but now it's working fine. That's the funny... Uh, stand by, everybody. Oh, that's me, too. Uh, it's certainly very reassuring to feel the ones in the hands of two such cool, matter-of-fact customers as these. 
Ah, we, we seem to be off. Not yet, old chap. There's quite a bit of this before we really rise. Oh, good. Uh, it seems to be making rather heavy weather on it, doesn't it? Is that my... Uh, now we're about six feet off the deck. Oh, not so good. Uh, we're about six feet off the deck now, listeners. I say, you're looking worried, very worried, old chap. Oh, am I? Well, it's just that the ship isn't underneath us anymore. Precisely. As we stayed still in the air, the ship swung away in the wind. That's the foot I passed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're absolutely motionless now, listeners. About a hundred... A hundred and six feet up. Yes, I know that. I was going to say that. I was going to tell... Uh, Below me are the white horses, several of them, and above me, uh, going round, the ship's big propeller thing. Uh, Just the one. I say, I'm really beginning to rather enjoy this. Yes, it is rather... Uh, oh, hold! Yes? Uh, the ribs have stuck. I, I can't gain height. You can't gain height? I can't get the ribs. Look, man, look, I can only just hold it 80 feet. But the ship's deck's over 100. Yes. Oh, what is it? Oh, oh my gosh. It's a petrol pump. Look, there's little bubbles coming out. The washer's gone. Can it do anything? Well, I can only change the washer. That takes 10 minutes. We're 79 feet. Well, in any case, it means stopping the engine. Is there anything we can do? Oh, my gosh. Well, not a thing. We've added to Oh, 78 feet. Oh, oh my gosh. We're done. There's a a little bit of trouble at the moment with the petrol pump, listeners. It's not giving the output that the captain would like. Throw something out. That's the only thing. I can't swim. Apparently, lightening the load of this machine might... might I can't swim a stroke either, Skipper. Although I did once struggle across the breath of Smethic Bars. Can you swim, Clippin? I suppose I can say. Oh, yes. then you can save us. Oh, can I? Oh, yes. yes. Oh, the, the, the captain suggesting this is that I slip overboard and into the sea. Oh, wait. Listen. It's all right. The pump's cleared itself. Gosh, oh. so it has. The bubbles have all gone. Oh. That's a funny part. It was absolutely smothered in little bubbles. Ninety, ninety-five, a hundred, a hundred and ten. Thank goodness. We're saved. Oh. oh, bring oh. her down, captain, on the little deck. Yes, here we come. A hundred and ten, a hundred and five. We're landing now, listeners, and and with a very slight bump, uh, Group Captain Wingham has made a a perfect landing on on the little circular deck. I must say I'm very glad to be down again. Ah, well, that's uh, turned out all right again. It's very nicely done, Skipper. Not bad. Um, uh, Clipping, you do look pale. Do you feel all right? No. That's the funny part. Back ashore, I found a town giving a lead to other boroughs in the speed of its rehousing. Two hundred men I saw working on a huge block of flats. The clatter of steel girders, the chug-chug of the cement mixers, the ceaseless coming and going of the hod carriers. I congratulated the head of the housing committee, Alderman Meadows, whom I found proudly surveying his handiwork with uh, Mrs. Meadows. You seem to be tackling this problem in a very practical way, Alderman Meadows. Yes, and I'm one very happy about it anyway. Uh, get a move on there with that barrel, will you? And uh, you, Mrs. Meadows, as a housewife, are you happy about it? Oh, yes, very happy about it. Of course, we are the lucky ones because we are moving into the delightful first floor flat. You see there with the green balcony. Oh, you are? Oh. Oh, the rest of the flats are allocated in order of priority, I suppose. Oh, ours is the only flat, thank you. Uh, careful with that rosewood panelling there. The only flat? Well, what's the rest of the building? What, what'll it be, then? Well, new offices for the housing committee. What are ordinary people saying this week? We concealed our last microphone on the seafront under the seat in the shelter. <laughs> Good morning. Oh, good morning. It's as squally as ever. 
Oh, the wind's incessant. Uh, it certainly doesn't. My sister puts it down to those um, atom experiments in... Uh, um, Nirvana. Uh, oh, yes, you have. My sister, Miriam. I told you she married this fellow in the air ministry. No, 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 no. The experiments were in Nevada, in America. Oh, I beg your pardon. Yeah. I, I thought you said that you had never heard of her. Oh. Sometimes I, I'm not so quick in the uptake as I was, you know. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, Harry is of, uh, of the opinion that the wind is the direct result. Uh, who's uh, the... Harry, then? My nephew's husband, my sister's husband, on the um, meteorological staff of the... Uh, I get a bit uh, confused sometimes, you know, oh, uh, with your relatives. Oh, yes, I find them very confusing myself. Uh, getting old, you know. Uh, oh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Harry's younger than me. He started off at the airmistry in uh, balloons. I think this theory of uh, atom explosions, you know... At the is, Crystal Palace. Is uh, rubbish. Oh, uh, hmm? uh, How can they cause a wind? Oh, no, no. He started in 1915. And he used to throw out... These uh, flying saucers, uh, too. Sandbags. other things, like... Uh, uh, come down on... Uh, Loch Ness Monster. Uh, oh, no... He came down in a wicker... They've always been these far-fetched phenomena cropping up from time to time, you know, among the gullible who seem to thrive down on these fantastic a... figments. In a wicker basket he came down. <laughs> Nothing like an interesting talk. Oh, I always say it's only by listening to the other fellow that you get the other fellow's point of view. Well, I always say that it's only by listening to the other fellow, that you get the other fellow's point of view.
Somebody from the U.S. say don't like what the band she play. Band leaders say you don't like the way we play, then go away. Way down in Trinidad, everybody loves the rumba. Better you like the rumba if you're way down in Trinidad. You must learn to shake your hips or to a Trinidad calypso, then you'll be a big success down where they do the rumba best. Way down in Trinidad. Our castles and country houses were once Britain's pride, but today the architectural focus falls upon the magnificent blocks of flats, everywhere rising on the rubble of the slums. But not all the slums have gone. Last week I passed a terribly squalid street, not more than 20 minutes walk west from Piccadilly. In our last programme I speculated as to how the peerage lives today in its castles. Poor devils. But how much grimmer life must have been for the people in that slum. Poor, poor devils. I wonder what life in 1951 was going to them. Hey, Dean! What? Turn the radio grandma a bit! Well, it's not us, Mum. It's next door. What's the matter? Stop the instalment! You ain't the only one with a radio, Graham! Cool, they're a common lot next door. Oh, here's your dad now. Where's my dinner? <coughs> What's this, Craddock? Bunch of roses and a box of chocolate. Yeah, they're for you, Mother. It's your birthday, isn't it? Yeah. <coughs> hey, here. What? Want to give you a kiss. Yeah, girl. What have I had my dinner? Uh, what, what is it, Mother? A guinea fowl. What, a roaster? Yeah. Oh, that's cheap, isn't it? What? At 30 shillings? You just... Here, here it's burning. Hey. You're home early, aren't you? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I've, uh, I've hurt myself, Ma. Where? Oh, I got my little finger under one of the crates while I was unloading. Now, who's that? Go to the door, E.D. Yeah, an E.D. Oh, yeah. If it's a Ministry of Health fumigating van, they can wait until I've had my port wine before they start all the DDT squirting. I like port wine on its own. <laughs> One of them vicars. A vicar? What, in this house? Come on in, Governor. <coughs> Thank you very much. I, I say you're, you're eating. I'll call again. Oh, that's all right. <coughs> Sit down, Gov. On the bed there. Yeah. Oh, Dad, <laughs> take that wheel off the bed and let the gentleman sit down. Oh, yeah. Come on, Mending come. punctures in here. I've told yeah. you. Oh, well, thank you. I'm afraid we blokes always manage to barge in at the wrong time. My name's Greaves, by the way. I'm the curate at St. Stephen's. Oh, I work down the wharf. Only, uh, I'm injured. Ooh, nothing serious, I hope. Well, cuts me money down this week to less than 20 quid. Oh, dearie me. <laughs> like a fag, would you? Oh, thanks very much, but I, I've given up smoking. Have, have, have a drink, then, Gov. Oh, well, uh, a very small <laughs> beer, perhaps. Thank you. Yeah, there he's got us, any Yeah. Port, sherry, gin or whiskey, but no beer. Oh, anyway, don't worry, please. <laughs> I, I, I hardly ever touch beer these days. I, I can't afford it, I'm afraid. Go on. Oh, my old dad swore by St. Stephen's, you know. The vicar who was there then, when our family, well, between you and me, there was a bit up again. Mm, he bought us eggs and coal. Oh, he was a smasher. He was a genius. Oh, nicest capitalist I've ever met. Just come back from Italy, he had, from his holidays. Mm. I'll never forget him. The, uh, the Reverend Crawshaw. Italy, good gracious. What a lovely holiday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, me and Mother's thinking of uh, popping across to Ireland this year. We're, I say the steak's good, you know. <laughs> Want to see everything one can? Or one of them land cruises to France? Oh, very nice, too. Ever thought 
Organa France, Mr. Oh, well, often, but uh, on a curate's pay, it rests there, I'm afraid. Oh, not so hot your pay, eh? About six pounds a week. Six? Oh, oh, that's shocking. Oh, shocking that is. Yeah, I'll never forget the Reverend Crawshaw. It might have far up me, it is. It's getting cold in here, go. Oh, oh, there's no coal. And no logs. Well, no wood, even. Now. Yeah. Do you mind getting off to the bed a minute, Gov? Eh? Only a second, red, I want to put my hand under the mattress. Yes. Oh, here we are. Ta. Take these power notes round at the second-hand shop and uh, buy me a couple of old chairs for breaking up. Mate. All right. Well, and there was an old Sheraton bureau going for 30 bob this morning. We get a lot of warmth out of that. Well, go on, help your mother. He didn't understand him, huh? Oh, come on, E.D. All right. <coughs> well, now, uh, Mr. Craddock, yeah. my, my vicars asked me to put down the names of the families wanting yeah. to go down to the rota for yeah. the new block of flats oh, in... Oh, uh, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's no good to me, Gov. No, I uh, I bought this place, you oh, see. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Besides, we uh, we keep our car in the yard out the back. Oh, yes, I, I, I just mentioned oh, it. Oh, right. it's very nice. Uh, I don't think I've been too inquisitive about this, Vicar, uh, but uh, are you married? Yes, two children. Oh, I, I, uh, I hope you won't mind me saying, I, I just bought a nice suit up west one. I'll never wear would you like it? Oh, really? About the same size. Oh, but, but... No, no, uh, that, that's it. Look, hanging on the door behind you. Well, uh, well thank government. you. If, but if but you want it. You, you want it yourself, don't hey, you? You can't. You're in on six quid a week, Gav. Nothing at all. Open the fridge behind you. Uh, this cupboard? Uh, that's the fridge. Open it. Go on. Okay. There's a turkey in there. Just, just on the left there, you are. Well, 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 Take well, it home well, to the well, kids. too kind of you, I Take am. Take it home to the kids. Thank you so much. Now, that? I'll open the door, shall I? Oh, yeah. I wonder where Mother put the camembert cheese. Oh, well, uh, Dr. Grange, Mr. Craddock. Oh, another capitalist. Come in, Doctor. You know this gentleman, do you? Mr. Stevens from St. Greaves. Uh, Mr. Greaves from St. Stephen's. Yes, yes rather. Well, I thought you had a bad accident, Craddock. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's this little finger. It don't look much. Uh-huh. This one? Uh, oh, yes, uh, don't. <laughs> if you bend it back, Doctor, it's like a red-hot iron. Don't bend it back, then. That's the obvious answer to that uh, one, isn't oh, it? Still in my job, Doc, I... Use my little finger a lot. Yeah, what are you, a concert pianist? Oh, now don't be sarcastic, Doctor. That's not right. I'm rushed off my feet with illness of all kinds, and you bring me round on a footling errand like a little finger sprained. I've never heard anything like it. Well, I might have broken. You may not. Well, don't talk like that. It's your job, Doctor, to ill sick, like what it's the Reverend Stevens, oh, to visit I anyone who... Uh, it grieves. Uh, sad. Yeah, I'll have this finger x-rayed at your convenience, Doctor. Well, jolly well, I have nothing of the kind. Well, it's more like a bottle of aspirins. A roll of lint, some surgical spirit, and a wig. You can whistle for that lot, too, and you can whistle for me, too. And please don't waste my time again. I do think Craddock's had a bit of a shock, Doctor. Good. The country's going to wreck and ruin. People are ordering roll-ons and wigs and things they'd look hideous in just for the sake of it. I don't know. I rushed off my feet. I'm crippled with taxation. I've got an overdraft at the bank. Can't save. I oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm in debt oh, all round. Take it easy, Cringe. Do, do, please. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I feel rather faint. I... May I just sit down a moment? I, oh, yeah, yeah, sit down here. Work, you know, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Here, Doc. Hey, have this tumbler of whiskey. Thank you. Yes, well, I'll be all right in a minute. Hey, no, go on, have the other half. Thank you. I'll be all right in a minute. Yeah. Have the other... <coughs> You'll be all right in a minute. Oh, I had no idea you was finding things so hard. Oh, what? Well, take this bottle of whiskey, Doc. No, no, no. Go on, I... go on, I'd like you to have it. Oh, well, thanks awfully. Yeah. And uh, does your does your wife like ham? My wife? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't think she's ever seen the... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sure she does. She does, yes. right. Well, let's see what we got in the fridge. <coughs> Here we are. Ham. 
Here's your turkey wrap. Oh, this is rather I too say, marvelous of you. I don't get your turkey wrap. And your whiskey dog, that's no, right. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> feel all right now, do you? Oh, I, well, I do feel a little small. No, 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 that's all forgot. No. I say, that's a lovely television set you have there. <laughs> Joe, yes, yes. Oh, I'm just... afraid you can't have that. Oh, oh, oh no, my, my no, dear chap, no, we weren't quick. thinking of that. Oh, I thought we were good. Oh, Lenny. But we really must be going. Yes, I must be off. Well, any time we pass some vigor, look in, always glad to see you. I'm quite speechless at your kindness. Uh, what do you say, Doctor? Uh, oh, so it's a doc. <laughs> oh, well, it's very, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> and I'd like to say before you go, that it's very nice these days to find gentlemen like you not too iron-mighty to visit the poor in their own homes. Thank you. And I should like to return the compliment and say something to you, too. Yeah? What? You're quite the nicest capitalist I've ever met. <laughs> The world's so topsy-turvy these days. There's only one really sane place to go. That's for half an hour, once a fortnight, into just fancy. That was the fifth in the series of programmes by Eric Barker. Also in the programme were Pearl Hackney, Patricia Gilbert, Desmond Walter Ellis, Derek Guiler and John Warrington. The music was supplied by the Malcolm Mitchell Trio and the programme was produced by Charles Maxwell. Eric Barker in Just Fancy from March 1951. Still to come on Comedy Greats, Meet the Huggets, the 50s Funny Family, and Tony's harking back to his mortarboard days of tutoring a dummy when he opens a school in Hancock's Half Hour. New writing on BBC Radio 4 Extra. What are we dealing with here? Husband taken? Iris nodded. How many nights ago? 17,632. Everyday short stories mixed with the myths and the magic of Cornish folklore. Cold, dark water surged upwards. Thousands of bubbles forced themselves up the sides of the diving bell, rolling over the window like marbles. Lucy Wood's Diving Bells begins Monday morning at 11 and again in the evening at 9. The digital station on radio, TV and online. BBC Radio 4 Extra. Hancock was one of many who came to fame in our next programme. Indeed, one of the wonders of radio history is how a ventriloquist dummy became a broadcasting legend. When Educating Archie started in 1950 as a summer filler for Take It From Here, nobody suspected a whole product industry was about to be born. Mugs, soap, ties, sweets and scarves emblazoned with the smirking face of schoolboy Archie Andrews were snapped up in stores. On the way up, or top of the ladder, appearing on Educating Archie was a barometer of showbiz success. The man with his hand up the dummy was the smooth-talking Peter Bruff. Archie's tutors and supporters also included Max Bygraves, Bruce Forsyth, Dick Emery, Warren Mitchell and a young Julie Andrews. With so much talent at hand, it's no wonder the show ran for over 300 episodes, with audiences estimated at 12 million 
Archie's kidnap in 1951 made the papers everyone agog as though he was a real kid. Braff, as haughty Archie called him, also managed to own several woollen mills. His dummy's manic-eyed head cost 250 quid alone, never mind his Savile Row striped blazer. His mentor might not have been the best ventriloquist in the world, but down at the bank and on the wireless, it didn't matter. Ladies and gentlemen, we're educating Archie. With Bernard Breslau, Gladys Morgan, Dick Emery, Warren Mitchell, and of course, Peter Bruff and Archie Andrews. After a day in town, Peter Bruff is taking Archie to his club for dinner. The mausoleum is a gentleman's club, where tradition is kept alive, where old-fashioned courtesy is kept alive. In fact, a place where everything is alive except the members. Another glass of port, Fancho? <laughs> Why not? You're only young once, I say. <laughs> Isn't that young Braff over there? Ah, yes, and that Andrews boy. Yes. yes. Ah, they're coming over. Yes, yes they are. <laughs> now, Archie, I want you to behave yourself in here, my boy. Don't speak until you're spoken to, understand? This is a club for gentlemen. Don't worry, Braff. I won't give you away. Hmm? <laughs> now, you see those two old chaps over there? I'm going to introduce you to them. Yes, they're the club's oldest members. Well preserved, aren't they? They should be. They're well pickled. <laughs> Shh, quiet now. Ah, good evening, gentlemen. I'd like to introduce young Archie to you. How do you do, young man? Uh, won't you both join us? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, now, what do you do with yourselves these days? Uh, nothing much, much, you know. Yeah. We come in after breakfast, breakfast and yeah. sit in these chairs <laughs> till midnight and then we sleep. Oh, but uh, don't you get bored? No. It's better than sitting around all day yeah. doing nothing. nothing. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we want a bit of excitement, we have a little wager. Oh, wager. really? Yes, yes, for instance, um, Fanshawe and I had a bet on who would be elected president of France. Oh, oh and who won? We haven't heard the result yet, you know. <laughs> We're a bit out of touch here, you know. Uh... Well, even I know who won. General de Gaulle. There you are. There you are, George. I told you that Napoleon wouldn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> the upstart. Young Wellington will be pleased. What? That's a half a crown you owe me. What? Do you mean to say that you spend all your time betting? Oh, yes, yes. We bet on anything, you know. Yes. Oh, surely you wouldn't. I bet you half a crown we would. Yes. <laughs> Why, several years ago, we bet a young man that he couldn't go round the world in 80 days. Yes, I believe they made an animated bioscope picture yes. about it, you know. <laughs> he did it too, you know, we had to pay him a thousand pounds. And worth every penny, penny. the splendid achievement. achievement. You wouldn't get a modern chap doing that. that. No. Oh, don't be silly, this is 1959. It'd be very easy to go round the world in eight days. Oh, oh, bragging, eh? You wouldn't care to have a 
little wage on uh, that, would you? Would you? <laughs> 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 Say a thousand pounds? Well, now, come on, bruv, take him on. We could do it easily. Oh, I don't know, Archie. Supposing, supposing we had trouble with aeroplane bookings or, or missed our trains, fog or something. I'll make it easy for you. I bet you, I bet you, you can't even go round the British Isles in eight days. Oh, I'll take you up on that one. Now, what, what would you bet? Well, let me well, see. Now, let me see. Um, uh, mm, a thousand, yes. a thousand pounds would be a good figure. Yes, 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 a thousand pounds. A thousand pounds. A thousand pounds that you won't be back here at three p.m. next Monday. Monday. Yeah, but you'll need a lot of luck yeah, to win that. Mm. Yes. And if I do it, will you give me your word that you'll pay me a thousand pounds? Yes, and when I say my word, that means my bond. He's gone. Your yes. bond. Right, right. Well, then the bet's on. There's one condition, yes. You mustn't take more than five pounds with you. Oh, well, fair enough, fair enough. You're on. Archie, we're going home to pack. Well, goodbye, gentlemen. We'll see you here next Monday at three o'clock. <laughs> And so, you see, Grimble, we've got to go through Glasgow, Cardiff and Belfast and be back in eight days. I can take one manservant, so you'll be coming too. We can't spend much, so we're hitchhiking. Not likely. Once, when I was in the country, I hitched a lift in a truck and I had to get in the back with a lot of sheep. Oh, I was livid, livid, I was, I was half livid, I was. <laughs> All them sheep jostling me and rubbing up against me, oh, I was half livid, livid, I was. Oh, I see. Uh, you were wild and woolly. Oh, yes. And worse to come. When we arrived at the market, I was so covered in wool, they pushed me down a little ramp, shoved me through the sheep dip, sheared off me Tony Curtis and branded me... <laughs> and branded me right in the middle of me protests. <laughs> oh, I didn't I feel sheepish. Oh, it, it must have been terrible. It could have been worse. I ended up in the sheep trials and won first prize as the best ram of the year. <laughs> and another thing, uh, we won't have money for hotels, you know. We'll take a tent and, if necessary, we'll sleep in the field. You won't catch me sleeping in a field. It's all dewy and dank. Oh, well, what's wrong with that? You'll wake up in the morning with enthusiasm for life. I'll wake up with rheumatism for life. <laughs> I don't like damp grass. Oh, now, don't be ridiculous. Why not? Do you really want to know? Yes. I hate dew. <laughs> oh, really, Grimble. Instead of standing there, man, why don't you help Mrs. Morgan bring in the tent? It's all right, love, it's all right. Now I can manage. Good. Well, what do you think of this tent, Mr. Brown? Oh, thanks. I, I, I hope it'll be all right. It's a bit old. Yes, I had it when I was with the Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts? You should have joined the girl kind. Oh, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> We learnt a lot, mind. Well, if you can camp out, I'm sure we can, if oh, we have to. yes, of course. Well, really and truly, there's nothing to it, you know. Hmm. Providing you've got plenty of people to cook the food, grand lot we had, mind. We were lucky. The girl who made the main dish, Sue the Stew, mm -hmm. and the girl who used to come round with the tea, Laura the Pourer, <laughs> <laughs> and the girl who used to make us those tasty afters. Oh, what was her name? Nellie the Jelly. <laughs> well, there you are, Grimble chap. There's nothing to it. Are you coming with us? No. Then why not take... Why not take my Bernard? After all, you know, he's been in the army. He's used to living rough, you know. Yes, good idea. Bernard! Uh, Bernard! <laughs> Hello, it's me, Twinkle Toes. <laughs> Here, 
My head's enough burning. Ah, uh, you knew we were talking about you. No, I left a lighted cigarette behind me here. <laughs> but you should have used an ashtray. I can't get an ashtray behind me here. <laughs> I'm not stupid, you know. Now, look here, Bernard, love. Mr. Bruff's made a bet at his club that he can go round Britain in eight days. He wants you to go with him, you see, as a gentleman's gentleman. Him? <laughs> He's more of a layabout's layabout. Now, quiet, Grimble. We won't have much money, and we may have to sleep in pigsties and barns at night, and we'll be hitching all day. If we sleep in a pigsty, I'll be hitching all night, too. <laughs> no, no, I mean, we'll be hitchhiking, you know, signalling for lifts. Surely you know how to do that? No. Oh, now, Bernard, use your common sense. You're on a lonely road. No money, no food, you're depressed. You lift up your thumb, now what do you do with it? Fuck it. Ah, <laughs> uh, never mind. Look, you can carry the bags. We're off to Glasgow in half an hour. Oh, by the way, Mr. Bruff, as you'll all be away now for eight days, can I go back to Wales for a week? Oh, well, of course you can, Mrs. Oh, Morgan. Thank you, love. And that can be half your annual holiday, eh? Yes, we might even pop in to see you when we get to Cardiff. Well, come on, we've got to leave at three o'clock sharp. Yes, and to start with, we'll try and hitch a lift on the Great North Road. Oh, actually, I'm getting a bit fed up with this lot. Yeah, that's the tenth lorry that's passed us. Oh, look, here comes one. Hey, here I say, stop, stop, stop. Here, uh, excuse me, sir. Uh, Louie, Louie, Lou. <laughs> Monday's Coal Haulage Company at your service. Oh, well, now, look, we'd like a lift. Uh, where are you heading for? I'm taking coals to Newcastle. Well, <laughs> that's on our way, bruv. Uh, uh, Mr. Monty, can you give us a lift? Certainly, dear. Jump in. Pull up a tire lever and sit down. <laughs> Off you go. Well, I say, it's not very comfortable here, is it? Well, what do you expect? It's an old lorry, you know. Pretty old. Yeah, steady on. You're doing over 30. You shouldn't go faster than 20 miles an hour. Oh, you have to. This old bus won't last another hour. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> will you? Engine trouble. Fall out and push. Oh. Why should we push? I mean, what would you do if we, if you were on your own? Oh, I never am. Why do you think I picked you up? Now, come on, push. <laughs> yeah, come on, bruv. Come on, Bernard. There's nothing else for it. We just have to push it. Now, look. You, Monty, and I will push from the back. And, Bernard... You got the front and push. Great. One, two, heave. One, two, heave. That's funny. Lorry's moving backwards. <laughs> My end isn't it's moving forward. Yeah, no wonder you're pushing against us. Oh, now look, when I say go, we want a big yank. I don't think he could help much. <laughs> Mr. Monty, are you certain that you haven't run out of petrol? Oh, no, no, no. Oh. But life's one glorious uncertainty. You'd better check. Shall I have a shifty? Yes, go on. Why though? It's half dark. I can't find the petrol tank. Oh, well, hurry up, Bernard. I think this is it. I'll just light a match to make sure. We've got plenty of petrol left. I know, but we haven't got much lorry left, have oh, we? Oh, you horrible takers! My lorry's never gone in so many directions at the same time. <laughs> Lucky it's insured. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Monty. That's the last time I stop for your lot. I'll never let you in my lorry again. Oh, I see. You mean you'll have no truck with us? <laughs> there he goes again. <laughs> oh, we've got a right one here, haven't we? <laughs> 
What a naughty little lad. <laughs> Come on, Archie and Bernard. Let's get another lift. We must get to Glasgow Station by tomorrow morning. Here, hang on a minute. And come in with you. Glasgow Central. Glasgow Central. The train shortly departing from Platform 4 will be calling at Pitlochry, North Balakulish, Muthwich, Montrose and Loch Winnock. Mm, that's no good for us. We want a train to Cardiff. But, bruv, I'm hungry. Can't we eat first? No, no, well, we'll have a good tuck-in at Cardiff. Mrs Morgan's expecting us. But I'm hungry now. So am I. I've nibbled all the fuzz off me gollywog. <laughs> I'm famished. Well, all I can afford to buy is three single tickets to Cardiff. I don't fancy eating them. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Now, come on. We must find out about the next train to Cardiff. Now, I wonder who can tell us where the inquiry desk is. Try asking at the inquiry desk. It's right behind you. Oh, yes. yes. I say, you, in inquiries? Yes. <laughs> what is it? Well, now, is there a train from here to Cardiff? If so, what time does it leave? What platform does it leave from? And what's the cost of a single second-class ticket? Just a moment now. Before I answer that, I must go into the soundproof booth. Huh? <laughs> soundproof booth? Yes, in case the other porters prompt me with the right answers. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't want me to cheat, would you, hey? Yeah. I don't care whether you cheat or not. I haven't any time to lose. Yeah. Now, what's the quickest way to get from here to Cardiff? Run. Look, we want to go by train. Haven't you any timetables? We don't have timetables on the British Railways. Oh. No, we have horoscopes. <laughs> now I'll just consult the stars here. Oh, your luck's in, mate. Yes, there's one leaving for Cardiff in 12 minutes. Oh, good, we'll catch it. What's the fare? 73 shillings for adults, 36 and 6 for children, and 27 and 6 for dogs, including the basket. Oh, uh, well, I'll have two singles to Cardiff and uh, one dog ticket. Here you are. Now, move along, please. Next. Here, Prof, what's up? We haven't got a dog. Oh, yes, we have. Who? You. What? Yes. Now, you can get in one of those baskets and Bernard can carry you. Yes, you'll travel for barely a third of the price, you see? <laughs> How much longer, Mr. Bruff? Well, if the train keeps going at this rate, it should be in Cardiff in about three hours. Archie, how are you? How are you down there in the doghouse? Oh, I'm fed up with being a dog. Here, can I come up for a breather? Oh, not now, Archie. No, stay in the basket. And don't forget, if the ticket collector comes round, make a noise like a dog. Oh, uh, a dog! Oh, well, that's easy. Ba ba. Ba, But what sort of a dog is that? A sheep dog. <laughs> Well, you behave, my lad. If we get thrown off this train, we'll never win that bet. Oh, well, we'll be all right. Bernard's good at making dog noises. I say, can I have your ticket, please? Oh, certainly, yes. Here you are. Oh, thanks. Oh, oh, I say, you've got a dog ticket mm. and a big basket labelled dog. That means you've got a dog, haven't you? <laughs> ah, you're like me, you know. Sharp. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I I love dogs. I do. I do. Yeah, you would. Yeah, tell me, tell me, what's his name? 
That is, if he is a him. <laughs> Him's name's Archie. Is he? Oh, Archie. That's nice. Has he had any pups? <laughs> pups, I'm having kittens. Yeah. <laughs> Wish I could see him. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he'd mind if I scratched his back and tickled his little tum-tum? Yes, <laughs> I would. Uh, uh, not now, no, please, no. No, he's tired. Oh, I know. see, yes. Well, there was one dog lover to another, I do understand. Good. But tell me, is he a good-looking little chappy? I mean, what sort of coat has he got, then? Uh, Double-breasted with pockets and a slit up the back. <laughs> oh, that is most unusual. Yeah, I must open the basket and take a peek. Oh, no, 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 please. No, don't disturb him while he's sleeping. Oh. He's very fierce, you know. Barks like bad, uh, doesn't he, Bernard? What? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's odd. That noise seemed to be coming from old Lofty there. Oh, yeah, well, uh... He's barking up the leg of me trousers. Oh, oh Well, well, I can, I can soon calm him down. Here, I'll open up the basket and I... Oh, oh, and what sort of dog are you? Oh. What's the meaning of this jolly Jake defrauding the railways, eh? Well, now, look, my friend, I can explain everything. You see, I, I'm Peter Bruff and my I friends see. and I have to travel around the British Isles on five pounds. Oh. <laughs> it's a bet, you know. Oh, Normally, think... of course, I wouldn't stoop to such a trick. Of course, I understand. I'm a sporting gentleman myself. Oh, then you'll let us stay on till cut. No, I'm putting you off at the next stop. What? <laughs> oh, dear. We'll never get to Mrs. Morgan's. Well, don't worry, Archie. We'll find our way there somehow. Oh, there you are. It's you, Mr. Bruff. Yeah. You've arrived at last. Now come in, love, and make yourself a tall man. Bernard, love. Let's have a look at you. Oh, dear, what a state you're in. Your hair's all over the place. You've had no shave, love. Clothes all rumpled and crumpled. Looking better, isn't he? <laughs> but, but, Mrs. Morgan, how can we get across to Belfast and back by tomorrow? Well, some of the lads go down to the arbour, you know, and scrounge a ride across on one of those small crafts, you know. Yeah, well, that's what we'll do. Yeah. Come on, lads, there's still a chance. Well, bruv, any luck? No, Archie, I've been all round that side of the harbour. Nothing doing. I didn't have any luck either. Pat Bernard found a boat. What? What a hope. Oh, there you are, Bernard. Well, how'd you get on? Did you find a boat? Yeah. What? I know where we can get one from a Russian bloke. He's got them for hire. Russian bloke? Yeah, he's got a place on the beach. Over there. Oh, what's his name? Tunnel of Love. Can't you see it? Oh, that's Tunnel of Love. <laughs> the E's rubbed off. Oh, those boats are no good. Are they, are they, Bruff, eh? Oh, uh, Bruff. Gosh. Oh, well, where's he running to? Here, come on, Bernard. Let's follow him. Come on, come on, get your boats here for the Tunnel of Love. Oi, come in, number 12, your time is up. Step this way for the Tunnel of Love, sixpence an hour. How fast can you go in one of these boats? Well, oh, that depends on who you've got with you, don't it? No, no, I mean, what speed? Well, you see, these boats are fitted with two speeds, fast and slow. Slow if you're with your girlfriend, fast if you're with your missus. <laughs> 
some impact husbands got eight or nine knots out of them. Eight or nine knots, eh? It's about a hundred miles across. The sea's pretty calm. Yes, yes, I could just about do it. Uh, tell me, how long could I have one of these boats for? Well, as long as you like, boy, or not much demand in winter, you see. Had a couple here last week, got frozen up three days in a tunnel. Had to send a vicar in on an icebreaker to get them sorted out. <laughs> tell me now, how long you want the boat for? Oh, two days. Two days? Making a pig of yourself, ain't you, boy, <laughs> Now, can I have it for two days or not? Well, of course you can. 30 bob, winter age. All right, well, here's your money. Good. You can have boat number 17, Cupid's Embrace. Now then, what lucky young lady are you taking with you? Bernard, jump aboard. Dear Bruff, have you gone bonkers? No, no. We've got a good reliable boat here. Now, when we come out the other side of the tunnel, we can drag the boat across the promenade, into the sea, and we'll be in Ireland before you know it. Well, which way to Ireland, bruv, eh? Through the harbour entrance and turn right, that's it. Head towards that way. Throttle down, full speed ahead. Right, come in, number 17. Your time is up. Come in, number 17. Your time is up. Oh. Number 17! Please! Please come back! Well, thank goodness it's a calm day. Yeah, we're more than halfway across. Bernard, you're the lookout. Can you see any land? Yeah. Hooray! We've sighted land. Which direction? Straight down, through the water. <laughs> Braff, come on, we'd better get a move on. I'll rev up the old engine. Hello? Hello, what's wrong? Huh, the engine's stopping. Oh, no, no, don't say we've run out of petrol. I'll have a look. Oh, no, not after the last time. Don't you use a match. Oh, no. Bernard, Bernard, I told you not to use a match. I didn't. I used me lighter. <laughs> I'm not stupid. No, fool. The engine's ruined and we're adrift at sea. Oh, what are we going to do? Well, I know what I'm going to do. Oh, what? Write a poem. Wait, it's coming through. <laughs> I've got the message. Here it is. <clears throat> a poem, Lost at Sea, by Bernard Breslau, age 24, six bells and no barnacles. Hmm. If I sink into the sea, a mermaid I will seek for me, but I will know not where to grip her. She's half a girl and half a kipper. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Come on, there's a couple of oars in the bottom of the boat. Start rowing. We can't be far from Belfast. Aye, aye, sir. <laughs> Airports, Belfast Airports. The flight for London will shortly be leaving. Will passengers proceed to the departure lounge? You're brave. After all that rowing, why have you dragged us out of the airport? We haven't any money to fly. It's our only chance to get back, my boy. We've only six hours. I tell you, we've got to fly. But brave. What are you going to use for money? We're broke. Not quite, old boy. I've got my chequebook. But, Bruff, 
We, we limited to five pounds. Oh, don't worry about little things like that, old boy. It'll be all right. They'll take a check at the ticket office and those old boys at the club will never know. It'll be all right. Uh, uh, three tickets on the next flight to London, please, and, uh, and we don't want to sit too near the engines. Well, you have to sit on the wings. The flight's all booked up. What? <laughs> but I must go. I must get back to London today. Then you'll have to charter a plane. Try the CCA office through that door. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, I say. <laughs> Do come in. <laughs> Chappington's Chappies, airline at your service. Oh, uh, are you the man who's in charge of hiring planes to all parts of the world? Yes. <laughs> That's a laugh for a start, right? Now, <laughs> oh, look, so can, can you fly us to London in a couple of hours? Yes, yes rather, but only by plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's rather pricey, you know. 200 pounds. Cash? Cash? Uh, 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 but look, uh, now look, my, my name's Peter Bruff. I, I'll give you one of my checks. <laughs> That's another laugh, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take a chance. <laughs> if it's no good, I'll throw you out. <laughs> if the check bounces, so will you. <laughs> well, now look, how, how soon can we leave? Immediately, eh? but I must warn you, sir, there'll be one other person travelling with you and he'll be awfully nervous. Terrified, in fact. Well, why does he go up at all? I have to, I'm the pilot. <laughs> Okay, chaps. <laughs> this way. Off we go into the jolly old wild blue yonder. <laughs> Anchors away. <laughs> well, we've got over the Irish Sea, all right. What's that town down there on the coast? Well, it's Cardiff. Are you sure? Yes. Listen. Come in, number 17. <laughs> Your time is up. Come in. Please come in. Uh, you're right. Looks like we're going to win that bet after all, Archie. In another two hours, we'll be getting out at London Airport. Right, uh, taxi, sir. Taxi. Taxi at the West End. Huh? Oh, yes, my good man. I want to go to the Mausoleum Club, Piccadilly. All right, good boy. Jump in. Bernard, put your rucksack in the front and tell the driver to step on it. I don't want him to step on me rucksack. He might squash me gollywog. Oh, get in. Here, do you think we'll make it, bruv? Of course we will. We've got four hours to get there. Ah, oh, but the traffic's a bit heavy this morning, isn't it, eh? Not bad, bruv. Marble Arch, and we've still got three hours. Jolly good Oxford Circus, and we've still got five minutes. Oh, we'll never do it in this cab. Come on, get out. We'll have to walk. Here, here, what about my money? Well, how much is it? Three pound ten. There'll be another 18 shillings waiting time. What waiting time? Well, I'll have to wait another hour to get out of this traffic jam. Well, call at the club. I'll, I'll settle up with you later. Come on, Archie, Bernard, follow me. We'll get there if we run. Come on. Well, three seconds to the hour and Bruff is in bed. Oh, it looks like you've won your bet. Yes. Oh, oh, well, here we are. Here we are, gentlemen. We're back. Yes, yes, we've done it. Oh, oh. my shoe. It's oh. young Bruff. Yes, gentlemen, I've come to collect my bet. Yeah, we've done the trip in exactly eight days. Oh, I was lucky after all. But first, can you truthfully say that you didn't spend more than five pounds per head? Well, you... 
You could say that, couldn't you, Archie? Yes. Don't ask me, bruv. You made your own bet. Now you must lie on it. Well, I'll oh. take your word as a gentleman and I'll keep the terms of my wager. Okay. Your winnings are waiting for you in this envelope. Yeah, you are. Oh, thank you very much, sir. Oh, a thousand pounds, eh, Archie? Think of that, eh? Isn't it marvellous? A thousand... Here. Wait a minute, what's this? It's a premium bond for one pound. But you gave me your word. No, 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 I gave you my bond. But you said I'd get a thousand pounds. I said with a bit of luck you'll get a thousand pounds. <laughs> with a bit of luck you might. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a swindle, eh? Well, that's life, I suppose, isn't it, eh? Still, we've had an exciting trip, Archie. And I'm only 15 pounds out of pocket. Bruff, what about the 200 pounds for the aeroplane? Oh, my goodness me, yes, I've forgotten about that. I should never have made the bet in the first place, Archie. I'm a fool, I'm a mug, I'm a complete idiot. I'll take a bet on that any time. That's enough. <laughs> Those concerned in this latest attempt at educating Archie were Peter Bruff, Bernard Breslau, Gladys Morgan, Dick Emery and Warren Mitchell. The script was written by Ronald Wolfe, Ronald Chesney and Marty Feldman and this recorded programme was produced by Jake Brown. See? You never saw his lips move once. Several times, but not once. That was Educating Archie from March 1959. In 30 minutes... Tony goes back to the classroom in Hancock's Half Hour. You're listening to BBC Radio 4 Extra. Barry Cryer here. Now, Lummy, it's time to meet the Huggets. This gentle family comedy had an unusual birth, having started life in the cinema. Holiday Camp spawned three more Huggets flicks filmed in the late 40s. Comants and Roxas across the land were filled with folk eager to see dependable Dad, Joe, and giddy mother Ethel coping with their brood. Only stars Jack Warner and Kathleen Harrison made the move to Sound Without Pictures in 1953. Jack was later to achieve even greater fame as trusty TV cop Dixon of Doc Green. Evening all. The Huggets clocked up a very respectable run of nine series. Typically, each batch lasted 20 programmes, recorded without an audience. We're joining them now in 1957, when all seems lost. Listen out for regular supporting actor Kenneth Connor, who went on to appear in the first Carry On film the following year. Mum Ethel sounds strangely camp now. Oh, yes, she does, dear. And it's a wonder how nobody ever strangled their cacklingly cheerful neighbour, Fred. We present Jack Warner and Kathleen Harrison in Meet the Huggets. When a man runs a business office, his staff remembers everything for him by means of a filing or index system. But when a woman runs a home, she becomes the filing system for the whole of her family. Ethel! Ethel! Oh, Ethel, did my flannel trousers come back from the cleaners? Yes, dear. Very nice, too. 
The man said, how well fed you must be. They'd never had to remove marks of such strong gravy before. Yes, all right, love, but all I want to know is... Well, and he congratulated me on my button sewing on. They couldn't lose one. OK, Ethel, I'll admire them when I see them now. Where are they? In the airing cupboard. No, they're not. I just looked in there. Well, I put them there. But they're not there, Ethel. Oh, well, I expect they're somewhere else, then. Oh, that's brainy. Where? In your wardrobe. I put them on a hanger. Are you sure? Quite sure, dear. I see. Well, they're not in there either. Funny. I could have sworn. So will I if I don't hurry up and find them. Well, trousers don't walk, Joe. I know they don't. Not unless they've got legs in them anyway. Oh, let me think. Did you look in the blanket box? No. In the linen cupboard? No. Oh, well, I'm glad because I'd know I didn't put them in either of those. Now, look, Ethel, I don't want to know where they're not. I want to know where they are. Well, they could be lying on your bed. Eh? Oh. Are you asking me or telling me? No, you don't notice them. Here, what about your chest of drawers? Well, what about it? Oh, no, I wouldn't be so silly as to put them in there. OK, love, then I'll go and look in the chest of drawers. Hmm, now, where did I put my purse? Hey, Mum, have you seen my cricket bat? Yes, Bobby, very nice. Good idea of your dad's putting that old inner tube on the handle. I asked if you'd seen it, Mum. I left it under the stairs and it's not there. Well, of course it isn't. I moved it when I was cleaning. Where? Where? Into your bedroom. But, Mum, I've just turned it upside down. Oh, Bobby, and I only tidied it up this afternoon. Oh, not really upside down. Looking over it for my cricket bat, I mean. Well, it must be somewhere. I know. Couldn't have moved it there otherwise. Now, don't be cheeky. Have you tried the cupboard on the landing? Oh, no. I'll go and have a look. Now, what was I looking for? Oh, yes, my purse. Mum, what did you do with my tennis racket? Oh, what would I want with your tennis racket, Jane? I left it in the hall stand. Then you shouldn't leave it in the hall stand. That's how things get misplaced. But it's not in the hall stand now. Well, I should think not. When I tidy, I tidy up proper. All right, Mum. So I shouldn't have left it in the hall stand. I'm sorry. Now, where did you put it? Where it ought to be, of course. Behind your wardrobe. I've looked there. Oh, wasn't it there? No. Inside the wardrobe? It isn't there either. Funny. Not to me it isn't, Mum. I'll be late. Have you tried the cupboard on the landing? Did you put it in there? Well, how do I know until you try it? Oh, Mum, you are... All right, I'll try there. Oh, what a family. They never know where they put anything. Oh, now, what did I do with my purse? Ethel, they're not in the chest of drawers. Well, I told you I wouldn't be so silly as to put them in there. All right, love, you're the intelligent one. Now, just think, Ethel. See if you can give me just one little clue. Well, I'm so harassed, Joe. Trying to think of your trousers, Bobby's cricket bat, Jane's tennis racket. Look, just mention somewhere. Well, I might have put them in Bobby's wardrobe, thinking they were his. Good. Now we can start the elimination process. Now, just you sit down, love, and you take charge of operations. I'll leave the door open so you can shout to me if you change your mind. Oh, dear. Mum, it's not in that cupboard. Well, perhaps I'll lift them in Jane's room, Bobby. OK, I'll go and see. But I'm sure I wouldn't leave them in Jane's room. Mum, my racket's not in the cupboard on the landing. Oh, well, I wonder if I'll put it behind Bobby's wardrobe by mistake. No harm in trying. I'll go and see. Oh, out of my way, Jane, please. Well, Ethel, any more suggestions? Oh, weren't they there? You don't think I'm here again because I like playing this game, do you? No luck in Jane's room, Mum. Funny. You'd think a cricket batter would be such a big thing to lose. Yeah, same thing with trousers, Ethel. I suppose it depends who loses them. 
Oh, lummy is Jane. The way we've been passing each other on those stairs, you'd think it was an escalator in a tube station. Nothing doing, Mum. Oh, well, it's a mystery to me. It's a mystery to all of us, Ethel. If you ask me, you're not concentrating. Well, how can I when I'm thinking about something else? Oh, you've got something on your mind, have you? Yes, I'm trying to think where I put my purse. Oh, no. Now we are in for a real old time. Well, I'd never have believed it possible. We've searched everywhere upstairs, Mum. Well, things don't disappear into thin air. Look, all right, suppose we change over. I'll look for Bobby's cricket bat, Bobby can look for your tennis racket, Jane, and you can look for my trousers. Well, what's about me? Well, you better keep looking for your purse, love. OK, come on, Bobby. Well, I don't want to spoil your plans, Joe, but I think if you all just look for one thing, you'll find the others as well. Eh? Yes, because I remember putting them all together to take upstairs. Hello, hello, hello. Guess who? Oh, Inspector Fabian of Scotland Yard. Aye. Have you got a search warrant, Fred? Search warrant? Yes, you can't join the search party without a warrant. What's he talking about, Mrs. Oh, Hans? he's just trying to be funny, Fred. Hey, I churn it up, Joe. Trying to be funny is my job. <laughs> Pity you never succeed, Fred. Ah, well, it depends on the audience, Joe. Oh, well, never mind. What's on your mind, if you've got one? Oh, thanks, Joe. Well, Joe, uh, look, old Clara's just done the daftest thing. She's not the only one. Hey, guess what, Mrs. H? She's put her purse down somewhere she can't find the flipping thing. Ah, <laughs> Stupid thing to do, ain't it, Mrs. H? Well, go on, Ethel. Why don't you agree with him? Why should I? Perhaps you'd like to go across to Claire and tell her I've lost mine. I? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I didn't know it was catching. Yes, Fred. And she's lost my trousers as well. You don't say. Yeah. yeah. Come out from behind that settee, Joe. I get and let's have a look at your knees. Oh, no, not these trousers, you fathead. My flannels. Oh, I see. Yeah. It will look, Joe. I can't stop. Mm. Oh, well, that's good news anyway. Oh, thanks for that. I'll just come over to see if you can lend a couple of quid until Clara finds her purse. You better ask Ethel. She's the one with the money. Yes, mm. and the one without the purse. Oh, never mind your purse. Give him a couple of quid out of my wage packet. It's on the mantelpiece. Whereabouts? I can't see it. Yeah, next to the clock. Which clock? Look, there's only one clock. Oh, I'll get it for you, Fred. Some folks can't see, but... Yeah, that's funny. It's not here. Perhaps you didn't leave it there, Joe. Well, of course I left it there. I know where I leave things if other people don't. Did you move it, Ethel? Well, why should I move it? I don't know. Why should you move everything else in the house? You've got to find it, Joe. You worked a week for that lot. I know I worked a week for it, Fred. It's me flipping wages. Sorry, I was only sympathising. Well, you do better looking. Did you put it in your purse, Ethel? Well, I might have done. I'll soon be able to tell you. Good. As soon as I find me purse. Oh, as soon as she finds her purse. <laughs> oh, what a lark. And it, it's just like the old merry-go-round, Joe. Look, why don't you go home, Fred? I? Yes, go and help Clara find her purse. Oh, but it's because Clara's lost her purse. I'm here. Well, then tell her it's because Ethel's lost her purse that we've sent you back again. Oh, all right. Here, you never know Clara may have found it by now. Oh, let me know if she has. Then I'll send Joe over to borrow two pounds off you. Oh, OK, Mrs H. So long. Now, let's sort ourselves out. Yeah, Mrs H, that two quid, would you like it in silver or would you... Get out of it! Right, Ethel. Best thing is to look for your purse first or we'll never get any peace. There's all our money in it. I wonder where it's gone. Yeah, that's what we're always doing, wondering where all the money goes. I'll see who that is, Ethel. I'll start searching. All right, dear. Let me know if you find it, won't you? Oh, that's a bright remark. Oh, good evening, madam. It's me. 
<laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> and how are you this evening? Shocking, thank you. <laughs> well, you know who I am, don't you? I'm your new caller. Oh, that's nice. Fire insurance. Your house burns down, my company pays up. Unless you start to fire yourself, of course. <laughs> it's just a matter of the premium. Premium? <clears throat> oh, you mean the bonds? No, 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 madam. Insurance premium. I valued the property, your husband took out a policy, I've called for the first instalment. Oh, instalment. Yeah. Oh, oh, I bet you'll never guess. Oh, but I will, madam. You've mislaid your purse. That's right. How did you know? It's classed as number one non-payment excuse in the company's handbook, but fortunately, madam, it's covered by reply number two. What's that? I'll come in and wait until you find it. Oh. Now, if I could just step inside a moment. Oh! Oh, I'm sorry, madam. I didn't mean to push you into the hall stand. There. <clears throat> now, I'll, uh, I'll wait, madam. Oh. Yes. Aren't you going to say anything about the wallpaper? Why, should I, madam? Well, everyone else does. Yeah. Well, I'm the type of man who likes to be different. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, I can't say I blame him, though. It's a bit of an eyesore, isn't it? Who is it, Ethel? It's the fireman. Fireman? Whoa, lummy, I'm, I never even heard the engine. I can't miss this, Ethel. Where is it? It's me, sir. I'm it. Your wife meant it was the fire insurance man. <laughs> well, if you want your money, you'll have to wait until we've found my wife's purse. Oh, found your wife's purse? Yeah. <laughs> she's got you at it as well, has she? <laughs> yeah, she's got me at it, all right. Here, couldn't you call somewhere else and just until we find it? Yeah, what about Stebbins next door? Stebbins? <laughs> she sent me to call here while she looked for her purse. Yeah. OK, come on, Ethel, before he has hysterics. <laughs> all right, dear. Won't be long, Mr. <laughs> whoever you That's are. That's all right, I can wait, madam. <laughs> Mum, I've looked under all the beds. It's not there. Under all the beds is a funny place to keep a person. Oh, well. Mum, it's not even in the loft. Loft, now. This family certainly believes in giving a performance. Ought to avoid paying twelve and a tenner. I don't know. I was sorry to keep you waiting, Mr. Um, I, I just thought you might like to come in inside and sit down while we're looking for it. Eh? What do you mean? You've really lost your purse? Well, of course I have. Oof, the age of miracles. This is the best news I've heard today. What? Yeah, that's until you tell me you've found it, madam. Yes, all right, I will come inside. In here, please. If you ask me, we, we should employ a house detective, Jane. Now, let's see, Dad. Where does Mum usually lose her purse? Well, I don't know, but it's always somewhere where she can't find it. Oh, hello there, sir. <laughs> Still at you, don't you? Yeah, what do you think? <clears throat> it's not in the sideboard drawer, Dad. Come with me, Bobby. We'll look in the front room. OK. Uh, can I be of any help? Right. Do you know your way around the house? No, only I... Then why don't you mind your own business? Oh, well... These little things are sent to dry Yeah, then they should have kept you at home. Sorry. Yeah. Now, Ethel, try to think where you've put it. Well, if I could think where I'd put it, Joe, there'd be no need to look, would there? <laughs> You've got a point in there, man. You'll get a point in somewhere else if you don't keep quiet. Hello, hello, hello. Guess what? If I was to tell you now, Fred... We'd be enemies for life. Clara's found her purse. Now, isn't that just ducky? Yeah, it was in the pantry all the time. Pantry? <laughs> oh, we haven't looked in our pantry. Well, it seems as good a place as any, madam. Yes, the pantry, Fred. Yeah. We've tried everywhere else. Be with you in a minute, Fred. Okay. Come on, Ethel. <laughs> oh, we'll soon see if it's... 
Hey, what are you doing in the pantry? Well, your wife thought it might be here, so I just... Get out! It, all right, just as you like. It's a funny-looking pantry, though, not it? Cricket bat, tennis racket, trousers and socks, on. Hey, Ethel, <laughs> look. Oh, Joe, that's where I left them. I had them in me hand when the milkman called, and I must have put them down in here when I got him the empty bottles. Oh, no wonder we couldn't find the things upstairs. Well, thank goodness everything's been found. Excuse me, madam, but weren't you looking for your purse? Purse? You don't know my wife. That'll take at least another couple of hours. Hey, Well, what about me? Well, you can have a bed made up in the front room, or you can call again tomorrow. But before you decide, you'd better nip a course with Mr Stebbins. With me? Yes, to collect your insurance before Clara loses her purse again. Another cup of tea, Joe? Yeah, only half, love. Fred will be here any minute to go to work. All right. Oh, now, where did I put the teapot? I wish you'd remember where you put things, Mum. I do remember where I put things. It's when I move things that have been put out where they shouldn't have been put that I get in a muddle. Well, then, how about that other half a cup of tea? Or is the teapot still missing? <laughs> no, I found the teapot. I'm just wondering where I put your cup. You've got it in your hand. Oh, well, I knew it couldn't be far away. Hello, hello, hello. Anyone at home? Well, if we're not, Fred, Ethel's hidden us somewhere. <laughs> It was a lark last night, eh, Joe? Those women, they can't remember where they put a thing. I told Clara, I said to her, she'd have no trouble at all if she put everything in its proper place. If I was Clara, I'd put you in your proper place right away. Ah, ah good for you, Mrs. H, good for you. Here, did you find your purse? Yes, Fred. Four hours later, Four she, hours. she remembered she'd left it in her apron pocket, the dirty one she'd put ah, in the ah, linen ah, basket. Ah, ah. Oh, you. All you men are alive. Well, of course we are, love. They just gave us different phases so our wives could tell it was us when they'd lost us. <laughs> well, I've made jolly sure my cricket bat isn't missing tonight. I've chained it to my bicycle. Good for you, Bobby. My tennis racket won't be missing either. I left it at the club. If you keep on like this, you'll all be in for a shock. One of these days, you'll come home and find me missing. Oh, that'll be the day, Ethel. You wouldn't know where to put yourself. <laughs> where to put yourself? <laughs> That's a good one, Joe, isn't it? <laughs> all right, you can laugh. But sometimes you can drive a woman just too far. Cheerio, Fred. I'll see you in the garden later on. OK, Joe. Hello, Bobby. What are you doing sitting on the doorstep? I'm waiting for you. Can't get in. Jane's gone looking to see if there's a window open. Yeah, but where's your mum? Don't know. She wasn't here when I came home from school. Oh, that's funny. It's not like your mother to go out and leave you like this. Oh, Dad, thank goodness you're home. What's happened to Mum? Eh? She's not here. Oh, does that mean something's happened to her? The milk's still on the back step. She must have been gone all day. You know what she said this morning, Dad? Yes, about us coming home and finding her missing. Eh? Now, don't be silly. Your mother wouldn't do anything like that. Then where is she? And where's she been all day? Oh, I don't know, but... Here, look. Let's get inside first. Oh, look, Dad, there's a note on the floor. All right, let's have it, Bobby. Oh, it's from your mum. Uh, dear Bobby, when you... When you come home from school, I won't be here. Oh, Dad! All right, hang on a minute. I'm finished reading it. Sorry you won't be able to get in. I locked myself out when I went to the shops and I can't find my key. We'll have to wait until your dad comes home. Oh, she's lost her key now. Yes, and fancy writing Bobby a note to say he can't get in and then pushing it through the letterbox. Yeah, that's a bit daft, too. I think she stuck it in the letterbox, Dad. Then it was pushed through with the newspapers. Oh, then we'll give her that point. Now, what the, now what's all this pile of stuff on the old table? There's a note on it, Dad. These belong to the Huggett saints who can do no wrong. They were scattered all over the house. 
Now perhaps you'd like to hide them. Well, that certainly told you two where to get off. But half the stuff's yours, Dad. Is it? Uh, oh, well, never mind about that now. How about getting us something to eat, Jane? OK, Dad. Aye, aye, look at this on the table. The note to in all notes. Dear Joe, Clara and I have decided to go into town this afternoon to spend a bit of money before we lose our purses again. There's a dig for you. We'll be back at five o'clock. She must have written that before she locked herself out. Yes, but why write it at all? Fancy, fancy telling me she'll be home at five. She knows I never get home till six. Well, I'll get on with a meal for you, Dad. Quarter of an hour be all right. All fine, Jane. Just give me time to pull the side shoots off my tomatoes. Hi, Joe. Hello, Fred. What's on your mind? Here, here, Joe. I've got a note from Clara. She said you'd be home at five and she ain't come, Joe. Neither is Ethel. Yes, but they're over an hour late. You think of all the extra money they can spend in an hour. All right, here they come now. Oh, look at the grins on their faces. Uh, never mind the grins. Look at the parcels in their arms. Oh, hello, Joe. Sorry we're late. Yes, we got held up, Fred. Yeah, with that lot you need holding up. Now, Fred, we might easily have been later. Well, of course they might, Fred, if they could have carried any more. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened to you, Clara? <laughs> well, we did the silliest thing. Yes. You'd never believe it possible, Joe. You'd be surprised, Ethel. <laughs> You'd never imagine we could be so stupid. No, no you'd never imagine it, Joe. Well, there's no harm in letting us try, eh, Fred? No. What did you do? Well, we lost ourselves in town. Lost yourselves? Yes. We didn't know where we were. Well, you're often like that. Oh, oh well, I'd better go and make a meal. <laughs> Goodbye, Clara. Oh, yes. I'd better go and do the same. <laughs> Oh, lummy, what a pair, Fred. Yeah. Now they've started losing themselves. Yes, and seem to think it's funny, too. Excuse me, Mr Huggy. You remember me? I'm the man who waits for women to find their purses. Oh, yeah. You asked me to call around today, didn't you? That's right. Yes. And then there was nobody in. Very convenient. Nobody in at ten o'clock in the morning. Oh, um, my wife had lost the key, but you'll find her in now. Oh, thanks. Lost a key, did you say? I don't know why you fellows put up with it. You know, it's time you taught your wives a lesson. Oh, I soon cured my wife when she started misplacing things. You did? Yes. I deliberately hid things of hers and made her think she'd misplaced them. Did that do the trick? Yes. It's surprising how a woman misses her handbag, you know, and her makeup and all the paraphernalia when <laughs> she hadn't been able to find them for three days. <laughs> oh, well, better go and collect the premium, I suppose. Good night. Good night. Here, Fred, I think he's got something. Hmm. Suppose we teach Ethel and Clara a lesson, eh? Suppose we took something of theirs and hid it. Yes, Joe. Yeah, and make them think that they'd lost it. Yes. Here, better make it something big, Joe. The bigger it is, the sillier they'll feel. Something they'd be bound to miss, Yes. Eh? Now, um, here, here, how about the vacuum cleaners? Now, be your age, Fred. They never misplace a vacuum cleaner. They would if we did it for them. I could just see the look on Clara's face when she comes in and says to me, Fred, I've done the daftest thing. I've mislaid the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> It'll do, Fred. I've looked behind everything on the mantelpiece, Joe. <laughs> Water smashing idea, yeah, I'm Fred. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, except for one thing. What's that? Well, where the heck do we hide two vacuum cleaners? Uh, yes, yes, I see what you mean. They'd be as hard to hide as they would be to misplace now. We'll have to think of something smaller, Joe. Mm, pity, um, I was keen on the vacuum cleaners. So was I. Uh, yeah. hey, hey, wait a minute, hey. Old Cross is away on his holidays. Yeah. Couldn't we nip them out after dark and stick them in his greenhouse? Lovely, Joe. <laughs> they could stay there a week and no one would be any the wiser. Oh, <laughs> what a lark, eh? Hey, here, we'll do it tonight. <laughs> yeah, this won't half teach them both a lesson. Not half. <laughs> Dan, tell Fred, Ethel, you'll never believe anyone can mislay a vacuum.
vacuum cleaner. Yes, oh dear. <laughs> Does seem a bit silly, doesn't it? <gasps> You're sure you don't mind lending me yours? Of course I don't, when I can find it. Well, they say it's always the last place you look. It's bound to be in the pantry. Mm. Oh! Oh, dear! What's wrong, Ethel? I think I've mislaid my vacuum cleaner, too. Oh. oh, it's you, Fred. Won't you come in? No, it's uh, pretty late, Mrs H. I just thought, as it's a nice night, old Joe might like a stroll round before he goes to bed. Oh, good idea, Fred. I'll be right with you. I won't be long, Ethel. Joe, has Ethel said anything? Not a word, but what an expression she's got on her face. <laughs> Spends all her time going around lifting up newspapers to see if it's under one of them. It's not taken clear of that way. Well, I'm sorry you're not getting as much fun as me, Fred, but it'll come. It'll come, all right. They've reported it to the police. Eh? Yes. We should well, never have picked anything as big as vacuum cleaners. When they both found them missing, they knew they couldn't have been mislaid, so they thought they'd been pinched while they were in town. Lummy. And another thing. I just heard old Cross came home early from his holidays because his wife's oh, ill. We'd better get him out of his greenhouse quick. Yes, if the police ain't beaten us to it. OK, you keep a lookout while I go and get Ethel. Then when you see me come out, you'll go and get Clara's, all right? OK, Joe. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves running into trouble. PC Dooley reporting from Car 17. Patrolling Alexander Road area as instructed. Nothing to report. And keep the tea warm, Sergeant. <laughs> out. Yeah, what a life, Bill. Ah. Eh, look out for two missing vacuum cleaners. <laughs> I like that. Hey, Bill, pull into the curb. If there isn't a funny one coming along just now, then me eyes are deceiving me. Good evening, sir. And where would you be going? Oh, just a walk round, officer. Eh, do you always take the vacuum cleaner with you? Oh, only when I need a bit of exercise. <laughs> it's an unusual thing for a man to be carrying around the streets at 11 o'clock at night, isn't it? Well, at least it's dark. I'd look much after carrying it round in broad daylight. Would you now? <laughs> Having fun, aren't you? Well, I thought we both were. Yeah, where'd you get it from? Oh, uh, it's my wife's. Oh, your wife's, is it? And does she know that you take it out for moonlight walks? Well, is there any harm in it? Look, this is where I live, number 23. My name's Joe Huggett. Why not come in and ask me wife whether it's hers or not? Very smart, aren't you? Your wife opens the door and you say, this is your vacuum cleaner, isn't it, dear? The policeman thinks I stole it and wants to run me in. Of course your wife will say it's hers. But it is hers. Ah, we'll soon find out. Come on, you get into the car. Go on inside. OK, but the laugh's on you. We'll soon see about that. Yeah, you must have been lying in wait for me. Uh, there's nothing to worry about now. I'd just like your help in clearing up a small matter. Would this here be your vacuum cleaner? No, that's not mine. That's not the one. Much obliged. Sorry to have troubled you. Good night now. Good night. Thanks for calling. Hmm. So it was his wife's, was it? Hey, would you take this little exhibit of yours and hold it a minute, just while I get in? Well, what's the verdict? We'll go into that at the station. Off we go, Bill. Now, just a minute. What's the big idea? Hey, hold it, Bill. I'd be blown if the good fairies haven't sent us another one of them, complete with a vacuum cleaner into the bargain. Yeah, that's Fred Stebbins. He's a pal of mine. Yeah, you mean accomplice, don't hey? you? Hey? Just, just stay where you are now. <coughs> good evening, sir. Are you busy? Oh, so, sir. What about you? Had any good police pantos lately? Well, I just happened to notice that you were carrying something. Oh, the vacuum cleaner. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest sucker in the family. <laughs> what are you doing with it? Hey? Oh, carrying it. Where? 
Oh, round? Isn't it strange to carry it around at 11 o'clock at night? Ah, oh, well, that's the... Uh, ah, yes, uh, yeah, that's a wife's fault. She didn't want it in the kitchen, so she told me to uh, carry it round to the front room. Couldn't you have carried it through the house? Well, dummy, I never thought of that. Oh, yeah. right. You're trying to tell me that it's your wife's vacuum cleaner, I suppose. Yeah, hold on. You're not suggesting I'll pinch the thing. Why, are you suggesting that you didn't? Oh, it's like that, eh? Then you just knock at the door with me. This is where I live. My wife will soon tell you who it is. Ah, oh, the same ideas as your partner. Hmm? Your wife opens the door, finds you with the policeman, so you say, Mary, this is your vacuum cleaner, isn't no, it? No, I don't. Her uh, name's Clara. Never mind that. Come along, just get inside the car. I'll soon see whether it belongs to your wife. OK, and ask her if I belong to her at the same time. In you get. Look after him, Bill. Charles. So we got you as well, Fred. Oh, this is ruddy ridiculous, Charles. You can say that again. I'm on my way to the station for stealing Ethel's vacuum cleaner. But you didn't steal it, Joe. You just borrowed it. Bes besides, how can you steal your own property? I don't know. Here, just you wait. I want to oh. tear that bloke off a strip when he comes back. Come on, move up, here, you two. Here, here, what's the game? That's what I want to know. Your wife just said that it isn't her vacuum cleaner. Right, off we go, Bill. Joe, it looks as if I'm coming with you. Oh, I don't know. Joe just said they were going out for a bit of fresh air. That's what Fred said. Well, they couldn't have gone out for anything else at this time. Mm. I thought it was Fred coming back half an hour ago, but he was a policeman. He'd brought a vacuum cleaner to see if it was mine. Oh, he called here with it as well, oh. and it wasn't mine. Must have been lots of others stolen besides ours. Yes. Oh, dear, I do wish they'd hurry up. <laughs> Here's the phone. Oh, who can that want to be ringing up at this time? Mm. Hello? Yes, Mrs. Huggett speaking. What? Oh, that's nice. I was just getting worried about him. Ethel, where are they? Mr. Stebbins? Yes, that's correct. Joe's all right, Clara. The oh. police have got him. What? The police? Yes, they were just ringing to... Oh! The police, Clara. Oh, dear. Ask them what they got him for. All right. Excuse me, what have you got him for? Oh, he says they're holding him for larceny, Clara. Oh? Yes, larceny. What's larceny, Clara? I don't know, Ethel. I've heard of them holding people for stealing or questioning or shop-breaking or... Perhaps larceny is something they hold him for without him having done anything wrong. Oh. Just a minute, Clara. Yeah. Hello? Yes? I'll come along right away. Clara, I've got to go and bail him out. Ooh, how awful. Then he must have done something wrong, Ethel. Yes, larceny. Yeah. Oh, I know what it is, Clara. Hmm? I told him he'd get in trouble if he kept forgetting to pay it. What, Ethel? Larceny. He hasn't paid for the TV licence. Oh, don't worry, Ethel. I expect Fred standing by him. Didn't they just mention Fred's name? That's right, Clara. They're holding Fred as well. What? for Larson. Oh, but they can't, Ethel. We haven't even got a television set. Well, you better argue it out when you get down there. They want you to bail out Fred. Come on! Ooh. 
So you see, I thought me and Fred would never have been arrested if old Taffy had been on duty. Yeah, that's right, Mrs. Huggett. He was a new man, you see. He was only doing his duty. Of course, I knew it was you and Mrs. Stebbins that had reported the theft, you see. Yes, and me and old Jay happened to find him dumped uh, uh, all on the old bomb site when we was having our walk, didn't we, Jay? Yes, well, right, I suppose yes. you can't blame the policeman for doing his duty. Nah. After all, Joe did tell him that Mrs. Stebbins' vacuum cleaner was mine. Yes, and Fred made the same mistake as well. Well, so long as you've got your vacuum cleaners in your husband's back, I don't see why you should worry. Now, turn it up, Taffy. You might put us both before the vacuum cleaner. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's that. So they didn't get a charge against it after all, Joe. Perhaps yes. they didn't, but your wives did. Right. You mean it's something about these vacuum cleaners? It certainly is, Joe. Oh, lummy. Go on, Ethel. What's the charge? Bone idleness. Eh? Yes, if you and Fred Stebbins helped a bit more round the house, you'd have known which was your wife's vacuum cleaner. Oh, that. Well, what do you know, Fred? That was Jack Warner and Kathleen Harrison in Meet the Huggets, a recorded programme with George Howell, Marion Collins, Charles Leno, Molly Lumley and Kenneth Connor. Script by Eddie Maguire, production by Jakes Brown. Meet the Huggets from September 1957. What's your name? Pip. Pip Bin. Pip Bin, eh? Pip Bin. Then I shall call you Pip Bin. <laughs> Sir Pip Bin tells the story of his, frankly, Dickensian life. The months ahead will be full of darkness for you, and anguish, and probably some actual physical pain. <laughs> And so I have come to say, good luck with all that. A tale of tragedy, loss, hardship, and some strange goings-on. But it could just be a coincidence. If it is, it's one so big, it's a coincidorous rex. Bleak Expectations begins in BBC Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Club, Thursday night at 11. The Digital Station for comedy, drama and entertainment. BBC Radio 4 Extra. At a time when radio still ruled the airwaves, Hancock's Half Hour grew into a national institution. Its tremendous success inspired the BBC to broadcast 80 hours of Hancock on both radio and the telly in the years between 1954 and 61. The show's format was noticeably different from the other 50s comedies. It wasn't as dependent on funny situations, but more character-led. The winning combination of Tony and his writers Gotland Simpson conjured up his lugubrious character, the pompous egotist in search of a better life. Hancock was forever hindered by the likes of Sid James with his rogue schemes and Kenneth Williams' snide character. Bill Kerr's role as sidekick is often overlooked. As the series evolved, he became more of a dunce. And when Hancock's girlfriends were dropped in later series, Hattie Jakes was brought in as the haughty secretary. The late Barry Took claimed Galton and Simpson's inventive writing was chamber music for the mind. Not surprisingly, a BBC poll voted Tony Hancock Britain's greatest ever comedian. The ever-distinctive tuba heralded his arrival in each of the 101 radio episodes recorded. We're joining the lad in an episode from 1958, Hancock's School. Sid, as ever, 
is causing him pain. We present Tony Hancock, Sidney James, Bill Kerr, Hattie Jakes and Kenneth Williams in... Hancock's half hour. Now, come on, William, now try it once more. No, Tub, it's no good, I can't do it. Of course you can do it, it's just a question of practice. Now, come on, one more try. Go. The cat sat on the mat. <laughs> See, you can do it. You can do it when you try. Now read it without the pictures. <laughs> oh, no, Tub, I, I don't think I can do that. I've, I've got to have something to go by. All right, well, I'll explain the words to you and you memorise them. Now, cat is spelt C-A-T. And that's the cat there. And that's the mat, M-A-T. And that is the cat sitting on the mat. Sitting? You said it was the cat sat on the mat. Yes, well, you see... <laughs> sitting is the present participle of the verb to sit, of which sat is the past participle. Are you coming down to the cafe for a cup of tea? No, I am not. You've got another two hours' work to do before playtime. Oh, Tub, I don't want to do any more lessons. What do I need them for? I use bigger words than cat and mat all day long. I know you use them, but you don't know what they look like in print. If I wrote them down on paper, you'd be completely mystified. If you're going to learn how to read and write, you've got to start right at the very beginning. There is no shortcut to literacy. Got to go about it as if you're a child of three going to school for the first time. Where's that? <laughs> Where's what? Literacy. What are you talking about? You said there was no shortcut to it. That's right. Well, how did you get there then? <laughs> William, literacy is not a place. What is it then? It's a state of being. Being what? <laughs> being literate. Oh... My dog had two literates once. There were seven and nine. <laughs> Your dog did not have literates. Your dog had litters. L-I-T-E-R-S. <laughs> it's an entirely different word. Literate means being educated like what I am, as opposed to unliterate like what you are. Hey, can we have playtime now? No, William. Good morning, class. Milk time. Here's your bottle of milk and your straw. Miss Pugh, there is no need to take the mickey out of William. It's not his fault he never went to school. No, we never had any schools out in the bush. Me dad had to teach me everything. Well, how is it you didn't learn? He didn't know anything. <laughs> he was worse than I am. Oh, no, he couldn't have been. Well, he was. He had a cattle station in South Australia. He knew every cattle on that farm by name. How many were there? Four. He knew he had four because he had an accountant come down from Sydney every month to count them. Well, there you are. You see what the poor lad's been up against. No schooling, an idiot father. Now he's got a chance to make good. I'm going to do all I can to help him. A chance to make good, you say? Yes. He's been after a job in the local bank. What has? Cashier, of course. Oh, well, if he gets it, I'm taking my money out. Cashier? Ridiculous. It is not ridiculous. He'll be all right when I've finished educating him. He's done very well in this short time. Go on, Bill. Show her how you count up to ten. 
There you are, they're all there. <laughs> Just got to get them in the right order, you'll be manager in no time. What's the time? 11 o'clock. Right. Playtime, ten minutes break, back at ten past for some. Morning, Kurt. Morning, Tub. Uh, uh, what did I tell you about that? Oh, sorry. Good morning, sir. That's better. We must keep this on a pupil-master relationship if we're going to get anywhere. I bought you an apple for you. You take it then, Mickey. Oh. oh, well, thank you very much. I'll have it with me milk. Let's have a look at your homework. It was an essay, wasn't it? Yeah, where I went for me holidays last year. Yes, that's it. Where I went for my holidays last year by William Kerr. Brighton. <laughs> Is that all there is? Yeah. It's not very long, is it? <laughs> well, I was only there two days. <laughs> well, couldn't you have used a bit of imagination? Brighton? Brighton? How can I judge how good it is on that? Didn't you go anywhere? No, it rained all the time. Well, what about your hotel? You must have got up to something there. Oh, yeah, I did. Well... Yeah, well, that's it then. Put it down. No, perhaps not. <laughs> Miss Pugh might pick it up. Hey, how many marks are you going to give me for it? I am not giving you any marks for that. Oh. All right, all right. One out of ten because you kept the page clean. <laughs> what else have you done? Spelling. Oh, yes, your spelling is atrocious. Let's see what you've done. Well, there's a good start. Spelling. S-P-E-L-I-N-G. Hmm. Well, that's one's right. That's right, that's right. Oh, no, no, William. There's only one K in cyclist. <laughs> Write that out a hundred times. Did you do the lines I gave you yesterday? Yeah. Show me. William. <laughs> when I give you a hundred lines, I don't expect a hundred lines to be drawn with a pencil and a ruler. <laughs> I want something on them. Go and stand in the corner. There's um, a gentleman here to see you. I'm sorry, I can't see anybody during class. Well, he says it's about something that will be to your advantage as a teacher. Oh, in that case, it is my duty to see him. Who is he? Well, he asked me not to give you his name, otherwise you wouldn't see him. Show him in. This way. Hello, Hancock. Pay attention, class. We shall now most likely have a lesson on the loopholes in the income tax laws. <laughs> I won't take up too much of your valuable time, Professor. I'm here on business that will appeal to you. I hear you've gone into the teaching profession. Well, I am giving one of our more unfortunate layabout friends the benefits of my own classical education, yes. Oh, yes, a very noble profession, teaching. Plato, Homer, Euripides, all them other great Chinese philosophers. Ah, yes, yes, great men, great men. Gents, every one of them. Yep. Well, I feel proud that in my own humble way, I too can help the fruits of knowledge grow in the orchard of ignorance. Nicely put. <laughs> I represent the Sidney James Educational Supply Company. Maps, books, pencils, chalks, blackboards, and the greatest inducement to learning ever invented. The super spring steel-tipped three-ply weighted handle cane, complete with special Sid James labour-saving attachment, allowing the master to inflict the greatest amount of pain over the largest possible area with a minimum pound of effort. <laughs> All the competitive prices I have purchased terms arranged. I think you've got it wrong, Sid. I'm not running a school, I'm just teaching privately. Ah, yes, maybe now you are, but your reputation is spreading, son. 
You ought to talk to the hand and racket since they've seen what you've done for Bill. He goes in there now, he adds up his own dart score. He's also found out that there's more than 16 bob in a pound. <laughs> which has given a landlord the dead needle who was making a fortune out of him. They're so impressed, well, I want to tell you, there's been some talk about some of them sending their kids to you for teaching. They're openly referring to you as another Svengali. Oh, no, no, never. It's, <laughs> it's nothing like that. I, it's just a... Hmm. I suppose they have got rather compelling eyes. You know? <laughs> they burn into people, you know. Now I think of it, quite a lot of girls shudder when I look at them. <laughs> it's me eyes, it makes them shiver with a desire. You have to turn the head away, they can't look at me. Yeah, I noticed it. Yeah. I have to wear dark glasses at the palais in case they go berserk. <laughs> oh, old Rasputin had the same trouble, his eyes, you know. We're exactly the same, different haircuts, that's all. <laughs> I think I get it from his Spanish grandmother, you know. Eyes like paperweights, she had. You know, the ones that uh, snow when you tip them upside down. <laughs> Remarkable woman, Carmen Hancock, her name was. She worked in a marmalade factory in Seville. <laughs> yes, yes. They still talk about her eyes in Spain. She stopped a bull dead at 20 yards. Uh... <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry, I was digressing. Where were we? I was telling you how they're referring to you as the professor at 23 railway cuttings. They've got more confidence in you than the schools around here. You've become a legend. The wise old sage of East Cheam. Why <laughs> were you at cash in on this? How? Turn this place into a private school. Professor Hancock's private academy for young gentlemen. Naturally, the school will be fee-paying, I should say, uh, 200 nicker a term. I'll take care of that side of it. We can't have the headmaster bothering with such a sordid subject as money. <laughs> Look, Sid, I don't think so. I couldn't control a bunch of kids. You know, kids and dogs don't take to me. These kids won't play you up, boy. Not with the Sidney James special cane attachment. I've got a telescopic one as well. You can reach the back of the class without leaving your desk. <laughs> Leave it to me, boy. We'll advertise a new school and I'll get the word passed around town saying that uh, you are a great man of letters, all right? You'll have a school full of spotty-faced herbits in no time. Where can I get a school from? This place will do for an outlet build-up. Seven to ten's in the dining room. Elevens to fourteen's in the lounge. Fourteens to sixteen's in the kitchen. Over sixteen's in the bathroom. Now, Sid, I haven't got any facilities here. And that is where the Sidney James Educational Supply Company comes in. Sign this. Well, what is it? Just sign it. I never sign anything without reading There's it. nothing on it yet. I'll write it in later. <laughs> now, you know you can trust me. Come on, come on. There's no time to lose. Oh, all right. There. Good boy. You're now the proud owner of 60 desks, four blackboards, three tons of coloured chalk, six war office surplus maps, and three other weight of assorted books. Now then, teachers. Well, there's only me. That's not enough. We've got 60 kids to teach. Give Bill another couple of weeks, we'll make him assistant headmaster in charge of French. <laughs> French, Latin, advanced physics and maths. What does he know about any of that lot? He thinks maths is what tramps get drunk on. <laughs> no, no, no. He'll know more than the kids. I wouldn't bet on that. He knows how to hog tie a kangaroo, make a boomerang do a circle, and that is his lot. Well, we get away with it, boy, as long as the parents don't come and expect the place. Grisilda can be matron and gym mistress. Ah, gymnastics? <laughs> what a farce for a start. Can't touch her knees, let alone her toes. <laughs> it's all right, she can yell out to him. She doesn't have to do it. And I will complete the staff. Oh, oh this is going to be interesting, yes. And what subject will you be teaching? Citizenship. Of course. <laughs> Yes, of course, yes, yes. You're a model of that. 
Well, you've had it taken away from you three times. <laughs> you know, boy, I think this is going to be a nice little number. If it don't work out, we can always move to another district, start again. Aren't you thrilled about it? Just think, in your bathroom, you may be teaching future members of the government. Well, if I can sort out which ones they are, I shall turn the tap on and hold their heads under. <laughs> yeah, well, we've got to have a motto. All good schools have got a Latin motto. Hey, Tub, can I come out of the corner now? I've done me hundred lines. You buffoon! <laughs> buffoon! <laughs> I didn't mean on the wallpaper. <laughs> Look, right in between me bunches of grapes. All right, what have you written? The only sentence I know. The cat sat on the mat. Wait a minute. That's it. It's symbolic. What is? That's our motto. Symbolic of learning from the beginning. The phrase taught to our first pupil. Catus satus matus. <laughs> the beginning of our first term. Miss Pewitt might be as well to remember my name is now Professor Hancock, B.A., B.S.C., M.A., Cantab. What does Cantab mean? It's short for Cambridge. Oh, I can put that after my name. I think Oxen would be better for you. Ah, <laughs> oh, morning, Tub. Tub? Professor Hancock. Everybody ready to start battle? Oh, stone me, what are you wearing? A mortarboard and gown. What does it look like? I had it specially tailored. Yes, but light blue sharkskin worsted with a tartan lining. It's not right. <laughs> it's not dignified. I see no reason why a master shouldn't look sharp. Molly made me this, the best in Charing Cross Road. Look at the mortarboard. It shouldn't have a snap brim and curled up edges. <laughs> oh, shut up. I'm known all over Soho as a snappy dresser. I'm not going to spoil my reputation for you. Don't you think we ought to get into the classrooms? Mm. Can't wait to get started, can she? It's a mistake giving her the 18-year-olds. <laughs> She's right, boy. It's nine o'clock. They're all in. How many pupils have turned up? We've got ten in each class. At 200 a term, that's 8,000 acre this term already. I don't think your entrance is in quite the right spirit, Professor James. <laughs> Instead of seeing in front of you ten eager, aspiring young hopefuls keen to quench their thirst at your fountain of knowledge, you're going to see 200 nicker on each chair. <laughs> Don't you think we ought to get into the classroom? Oh, wait. Contain yourself, madam. What class are you taking first, Dr. Kerr? Uh, Trigger... Trogger... Tro uh, trig... Trig... Uh... Uh... Nom... Nom... Uh... Uh... Tree... Tree... Trigonometry. Trogonometry. <laughs> oh, look, take geography, look. <laughs> Tell them where Australia is. Where is it? You were born there, mate. You ought to know. I only know where it is when I'm there. I, I know on the map it's down on the bottom on the right-hand side. <laughs> I told you, Sid. What's going to happen when they go home and the fathers say, well, what did you learn today? And they say, Australia is in the bottom right-hand corner. <laughs> You'll have the school inspector around here in no time. Dr. Kerr, I think you'd better tell them you've got laryngitis and tell them to talk amongst themselves. 
Right, classes, everyone, and remember, we are dedicated people. The responsibility of the future happiness and welfare of these children is in our hands. Go. Now, the history of England goes... goes... goes right back into history. First name one can recall is Nell Gwynne, who jumped into her chariot one day and called upon her fellow Britons of whom she was queen. Arise, ye Britons, from your slumbers, and let us ride to Londonigan. <laughs> Which, of course, was the Itai name for London at that time. And furthermore, said Nell Gwynne, let us overthrow these Roman hordes. It was Bodicea. Pardon? It was Bodicea. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Let us overthrow these Bodicean hordes. <laughs> well, nothing much happened for the next few hundred years, of course, until the next name that springs to mind, William the Conqueror, a Norman. Make up your mind, was he William or Norman? <laughs> well, he would... Well, he was William, yes. Yes, William. Norman was the place he came from. Norman being a shortened derivation of the word Northman, meaning one who comes from Norway. He came from France. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, we're not talking about the same William the Conqueror. <laughs> I'm talking about the one who invaded England. So am I. It came from France. Well, there were a lot of intermarriages. His father was a Norwegian, and even though <laughs> William lived in France, he was, I submit, technically Norwegian. A fact not generally put in the history books for political reasons, but I assure you I'm right. Uh, yes. Anyway, we, uh, we beat him at... We, uh, we beat him at Agincourt. And we... He beat us at Hastings. Yes, well, that's one all, then. <laughs> anyway, his old man, his father, his pot and pan, the Prince of Oslo. The Duke of Normandy. Yes. Or you. Yes. You're expelled. <laughs> Here's your 200 quid back. Hop it. Hop it. Scripture. King Herod the Lionheart was, of course, Nero's brother-in-law. They did a little arrangement, of course, by the... Now listen carefully. The cat sat on the mat. Oi! And what do you want, little man? We did that yesterday and the day before. Yeah, and we're going to do it tomorrow and the day after and the day after that, so sit down, you rat bag. <laughs> Once more, the cat sat on the mat. Dough until it is resilient, then you'll roll it out with a pin, then place the fruit in like so, pop it into the oven, and in four hours' time we have a beautiful steaming hot cabinet pudding. <laughs> I'll tell you all what it tasted like tomorrow. And don't forget, I want you all to bring along tomorrow fruit, meat, treacle, and jam. And we can make lots and lots of lovely puddings, which I can try out over the weekend. <laughs> And now, shepherd's pie. Take ten pounds of missing. And now, boys, we come to advanced mathematics. Now, you put two bob on a ten-to-one winner. <laughs> it's coupled up at a seven-to-four second, which is part of a cross-double with a hundred-to-eight third for a place. Now then, how much is going on to what horse, and how much will you finally get when you go up to the window? Now, hurry up and work it out, because unless I get it by three o'clock, I've had it. <laughs> Now then, I think we'll have a telly on, because they're doing the old meeting at Newmarket. Give you a chance to study animal life. 
and shut up. No talking, do it in the racing. Well, I think we've made a good start, don't you, Sid? Yeah, we're all right now. No complaints from the parents. I think the boys must be passing on the winners I'm tipping. Hey, do you think I could uh, change me lesson round a bit and said, the dog sat on the mat? Of course you can. Oh, good, only classes have been getting a bit boring lately. Excuse me, Professor Hancock, there's a gentleman to see you. Show him in, Biggs. <laughs> another parent wants his son here, I suppose. We'll have to start another class out in the air raid shelter at this rate. I feel rather proud I'm helping these children. They respect me, you know. You should have seen my class today. How they sat there agog while I was telling them about Isaac Newton chopping down his father's cherry tree and becoming the first president of South America. Good morning. The door was open, so I came in. 300 pounds a term. Take it or leave it. 300 pounds a term is rather a lot, isn't it? And you've got to pay for quality, mate. Have a sardine. <laughs> No, thank you. You stand for quality. Yes, a complete higher education the lads here get. Like the story of Isaac Newton chopping down his father's cherry tree. Yes, we teach him all that, yes. And about Robert Louis Stevenson. What did he do? Well, surely you know. Surely. Hmm? What, the man of your build? Well, I should have thought so, could be. <laughs> yes, Robert Louis Stevenson, yes. He was sitting under a tree waiting for the kettle to boil when an apple fell on his head and he invented the spinning wheel. <laughs> How interesting. Yes, he's a great man. Fascinating brain he had. Yes, yours is quite interesting as well. <laughs> I'm from the Minister of Education. Oh, is he interested in the place? Oh, very. We've had lots of reports coming in. Oh, he's thinking about sending his lad here. Well, you can tell him we'll knock a pony off the fee if he'll pass the word round amongst the old cabinet. <laughs> I see. Uh, these are the members of your staff, I presume. Yes, yes, this is uh, Professor James. How do you do? Uh, where did you obtain your professorship, Mr. James? Hey? Oh, uh, well, uh, Think I... carefully, because I can easily check it if you get my meaning. Oh. Well, in that case, I've got nothing to do with the place. I'm the caretaker. <laughs> Very wise. Hmm. And who is this? Uh, this is uh, Dr. Kerr, is my English master. Hiya, sport. Drag some wood under you and squat. Oh, so I believe I've seen Mr. Kerr's classroom. It's the one upstairs with the pupils sitting in the bath, is it not? It's a temporary affair till we extend the premises, you understand. I'm afraid it'll be more temporary than you anticipated. The police will be here this afternoon to board up the premises and to escort you to the police station where you will be charged with fraud. Fraud? Hmm. I've never frauded in my life. This is a bona fide seat of learning. I've dedicated my career to teaching the children of gentlemen. You offer facilities you obviously haven't got, and you offer education you obviously cannot give. It was done in good faith, I assure you. And the £8,000 you collected in fees? If anyone is dissatisfied, we shall return it. It's all in the bank. £24.10 of it is. <laughs> Professor James, can you explain why, why, the, why the money... Nothing to do with me, mate. I'm the caretaker. You are not. <laughs> you are not. You are an up-to-the-neck-in-it partner. Oh, no, son. If you read the minutes, you'll find I resigned. What minutes? I just finished writing them. <laughs> I think you'll find you own the old school, and you are responsible for any charges or civil actions resulting in the running of the same. Hey, they can't touch me, can they? I'm afraid not. And furthermore, as caretaker, you have to give me four weeks' notice, six snicker a week, so I'll take the 24 nicker left in the bank and we call it quits. Well, tell our gents, I've done business with you. I'll be in Bermuda if you need me to give evidence. 
Miss Pugh, you can testify as to my complete innocence in this. Tell him how I was hoodwinked by the fast-talking Sidney James. Who she has just run off with. <laughs> Dr. Kerr, you can tell this gentleman that my intentions in running this school were governed solely by a sincere desire to do good and help educate the children of this noble land of ours. And how all this sprung from my success with your good self. Show him what standard you reached after only a few months of my expert tuition. The cat sat on the mat. The dog sat on the mat. The mouse sat on the mat. Woof, meow, squeak. <laughs> yes. Well? <laughs> I understand some of the prisoners are quite keen on being educated. Perhaps if you had a few words with the governor, he'd let me hold classes in his cell. I think a lot of good would come of it because I'm sure they must get rather bored. And I think uh, that's, I'm just I, a man I, to say, I, I, put I, it right. I, 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 I'm the last. What? First, you know. That was Hancock's Half Hour, starring Tony Hancock with Sidney James, Bill Kerr, Hattie Jakes and Kenneth Williams. Theme and incidental music composed and conducted by Wally Stott. The show written by Alan Simpson and Ray Galton. The programme which was recorded was produced by Tom Ronald. Hancock's Half Hour from March 1958. Our final choice from the 50s here on Radio 4 Extra's Comedy Greats. I've been Barry Cryer. Sometimes I still am. I hope you'll join me for our next edition when I'll be cracking open six more barrels of laughs from the swinging 60s. Everybody's crazy for those kinky boots, kinky boots, kinky boots. And whether you're in evening dress or bathing suits, you wear kinky, kinky slinky. slinky. Leather is so kinky. Come and get Kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. Am I the only one to hope that Barry will be wearing his? <laughs>